Is it some devil that crawls inside of you? All right, so it was cold summer night. Cold Las summer Vegas. night. No, I'm huh? kidding. It was hot, actually. We were in Vegas, <clears throat> training out of school. Um, a couple days before this most recent world championship tournament in Las Vegas, I was with a friend of mine. We were just going into the school, doing a drop in for the night. He was competing the next day at the Worlds. And so I was like, cool. I'm going to go in and get a roll. I'm oh, yeah. out here in Vegas. I'm not out here a lot, so I might as well just stop in and, you know, check out what the town's like. So, uh, and have a good have a good time. So I go in, and the owner of the school is super welcoming and humble. And, hey, welcome in the school. Thanks for coming. Yeah, like, a, like um, an owner should be. Yeah, right? Exactly. Big smile on his face. Super welcoming to us. Thanks for coming. You know, thanks for being a part of tonight. We have a lot of our competitors competing tomorrow at the World Championship. So, you know, it's uh, their last night of hardcore training oh, before yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, we're happy that you're here to help sharpen the team. I was like, cool, man. I'm just excited to be here. And uh, I was with my buddy Matt from Australia. So he's a purple belt getting ready to compete at Worlds. And we go in, class starts. And we get a couple of rolls in. It's not even class structure. There's three black belts on the mat that are teaching that night, just walking around, helping people that have questions. Maybe, hey, I have a question on my knee pass. So I want to get some helps and critiques before tomorrow. So they'd be going around helping people out and everyone's getting rolls in. So the round timer's going as this is happening. And I get maybe three or four rolls in with some blue belts and purple belts. And I'm just kind of flowing through the motions with them, helping them feel confident leading them up until tomorrow. Um, just being super humble. And I realized I don't want to like put anybody in a position where they break their confidence for tomorrow. Yeah. I'm not there to prove myself to anybody. I'm just there to have a good time and exactly. roll. Exactly, yeah. And so we're having a good time. We're rolling and stuff. And I'm about three or four rounds in. And then finally, uh, this black belt comes up to me. And he's like, hey, would you like to roll? And I was like, I would love to. Yeah. Absolutely. It'd yeah. be so great. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Don't Typically, have, don't, don't have to do the little like, the side eye like hey hey or, or not or you don't when you roll with someone you know your rank or higher it's like oh, cool now i can actually try right i don't have to be like yes. like we were saying like it doesn't have to be the big cat in the cub like feigning yep. uh, things it's actually some some training coming from you now yeah exactly that's good so you can get to train yeah and this is this is the school owner too by the way He's, he owns the school i believe he owns the school or at least he's the head instructor of the school um <clears throat> He was the one that greeted us and welcomed us in with open arms and stuff. So he's a black belt at the school. Uh, I'm a brown belt, four-stripe brown belt, whatever that means. So not much longer you is know. what it means. Yeah, I guess. And uh, I, so exactly that. I was like, okay, cool. I get to like actually train tonight. But I'm not going to go hard. I'm not like here to have a competition. Smash. I'm just here to like have fun. I'm always going to revert to that. I was there to have fun, just have a good time. And uh, he finally comes up and says, would you like to roll? I was super happy about it. I was like, yeah, absolutely, you know. So we go, <laughs> he claps and bumps my fists and zero to 130. I'm sitting in an open guard position, kind of uh, half butterfly guard. And he takes a step in front of in between my legs. Uh, we clap and bump around starts and I get the hardest knee to my sternum ever. 
and the guy tries to knee pass and I caught, caught him in quarter guard. And then I just kind of started stuffing the position yeah. and his passing. And I was kind of making him struggle with that a little bit. And I wouldn't let him pass, wouldn't let him pass, kept staying sticky on him, kept staying sticky underneath him, moving around a little bit. And then I don't even know how much time has passed at this point into the round, but I know it went the whole round. And uh, at some point I sat up and we disconnected from each other enough for me to do a butterfly hook on mm. his ankle mm -hmm. and start to stand up for a single leg ankle pick. Nice. So as soon as I grabbed his ankle and went to go stand up, he just sat down into close into open you guard. Bastard. <laughs> and he got a daily heave hook on my left leg. <clears throat> so he's playing it right back with you. Yeah. Jesus. So then he goes right back. It was fun at this point. Like now, now I'm like, what I'm thinking is, in my is, head is the knee to the sternum like an afterthought at this point. Now you're training with. I'm him. not even thinking about the knee to the sternum at yeah. all. I never even thought about like the individual move, or I just felt like his intensity. You felt the intensity. The intensity. Got it. Like, yeah, of course, because it's, it's a tonal thing. It's totally. not a. It's not a. You know. Yeah. You grabbed my pinky thing. Yeah. Got it. The only thing I could think of while this is all happening really was kind of like, because I am close to black belt and I do plan on competing at black belt level. The one thing I started thinking was man, this is intense. Like next year when I compete, I'm going to have to really be ready for this. Crank you it know? up. So like I held my own and I did really good, but the intensity level was gnarly. And I was like, I don't, okay, cool. If that's what this is, then there's a dog fight. So what would it be like for me if this was an actual competition right here, right now? If I'm competing at black belt level with this individual right here on this mat, how am I going to win during this match? Because yeah. his intensity is gnarly so how am i going to beat it how I've, am i going to level the playing field that's what was like going through my head the whole time yeah I've it had wasn't that. like I've had that go through my head just training with upper belts yeah. if we're doing like an intense role uh -huh. absolutely that's great it's you know? a i think it's an important thing to shift your mindset to because i didn't want to be caught up on like the whole like dude why at first i was like whoa why is this guy trying to knock me out you know why is this guy trying to he, he wasn't doing a, a gentleman's me role up. it wasn't a gentleman's was, role at all it was a we're, Would, we've been training for competition. We're going into competition tomorrow. Yeah. And I don't think he was competing the next day. I Maybe think it was in front of his team. He's there. His whole team is there. Training. That's what I was going to say is you're rolling with their professor. Yeah. He's going to, you know, he's not going to let someone kick no. his ass in his own house. No. He's not going to let his students go, oh, did he just get tapped by some out of town brown right um that's weird and then lose their confidence like maybe all this stuff he's been teaching us is a load of bullshit yeah so there's a lot of things you gotta like take yourself out of the out of his put yourself in his gi <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know what i mean yeah I, to I totally understand and respect it but not like not to the level of the intensity from the start like there's always a level what else like i'm confident in my ability to know if i have any visiting student come to my school and visit for a role if i go and approach them for a role i'm not going to go zero to a hundred with them ever you're right it'd be it, it's a kind of like an <clears throat> act of discouragement or like an act of aggression to where oh you're visiting don't come back or you're visiting in this, a way this, it's it's a weird tone to set it was just yeah it was a strange tone it was a strange tone to set. and i don't think it was a malicious it wasn't like a like a dislike of an individual it was just the guy rolled hard and it was yeah and it was so my mind was like basically focused on if I'm competing right now in this second and this match, how am I going to win this match with his intensity level? I got to turn this shit up. Mm -hmm. So I turned it up 
and I started training harder. And then I started getting to a point where once I caught his ankle and went to stand up with that ankle pick and he sat down, he got daily heave on my left leg. Mm. He extended me away enough to pull me back in and I posted on his shoulder with my left hand and I instantly realized for that second, Mm -hmm. I was like, and as soon as I started backpedaling, I couldn't help it. Like he pulled my hips up over him enough and then dropped his legs down. So my hand naturally just fell to his Uh shoulder and I knew what was happening. That was slick. It was cool. It was cool. But there's a difference between a controlled arm lock and then there's a difference between, I'm gonna set my mic down for a second. Yeah, just, just snapping over like it. Like this clap, the snap between his hands uh, was just like, boom. And he came down so hard and so fast on it. My elbow was fully dislocated. Like my elbow hyperextended, oh. dislocated, snapped like an empty water bottle. It was like, yeah, yeah. imagine that crunch, you know, and that's what it did. I couldn't even tap because it was so fast. All I could muster, like it popped out and popped back in so fast in the moment. All I could muster was like, oh, fuck. Mm. And then I rolled uh, over. Yeah. And you would think it would be over at that moment because my scream of like, oh, fuck. But it just kept going. Like, and so now he's training and he's getting to a point where he's scrambling to get on top of me. So I'm like, well, fuck this. So then I scramble back and I start fighting back. And then the adrenaline set in. My elbow's not even feeling anything anymore. So now I'm like, fuck this dude. (laughs) You know, in my mind, I'm not saying that out loud or clearly showing that to him. But I'm like, I'm not going to lose tonight, pal. Like, take that. I didn't tap. Um, And, uh, my, to my, I mean, I couldn't have tapped, so it wasn't my fault. Yeah. But anyhow, uh, it was just a shitty thing. And that is, uh, the round ended, and we stood up, and it was just right back to that whole, like, oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming. And I was like, uh-huh. Jason. Thanks. You've spent enough time in jujitsu schools to know that's how people are. That two-faced kind of, not two-faced, but that kind of, uh, the, the smile yeah. on the, the wolf's grin. Right. I just have better, I just, I, I do, I have, but I, I have, like, I give people too much credit. People maybe. too much credit, maybe. I think. Like, and I'm sure I'm being like caught that. in the moment when you're out of town, your new place, you're like, I'm having fun. This is a lot of cool things going on. My yeah. friend Matt's here with me. This is, why would I expect someone to be right like you know, maybe a little fucking two-faced. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of my other friends uh, was talking to me about it and he made a really valid point. And he was just to touch on your point too, is you got to think about the individual, put yourself in his gi. So he's not really anybody. Like he doesn't have any world championship titles. He's not anybody of any significance. He's a black belt in a big franchise school Yeah, centered around some of the best jujitsu in the world. Some of the best jujitsu practitioners in the world live and train in Vegas every single day. Yeah. And leading up to those tournaments, like the world championship tournament, the world masters tournament, and then ADCC and stuff, people are living and breathing in Vegas while they're doing these trainings because it's closer to the, to the, you know, um, culture and context of it. Context of it. Exactly. So, for me to walk in there as just a brown belt in the time where his students are all actively getting ready to compete tomorrow, you know, he has to almost prove a point to his students and to himself. He checked, his, I think it was an ego thing of like, nobody comes into my you house. Were an, you were to be made an example of. Yeah. And the example was, is that we can have our elbows dislocated and pop back in and be 
okay. That was, that was the lesson learned there. So I'll be back on the mat. I've been back on the mat a little bit. Um, it's been since like, I don't know, three weeks now. Yeah. And, uh, okay. I'm just now starting to like move and flow around a little bit, good. but it's still like hurts and locks up. I haven't been on the mats or trained in almost four or five months now. That's and the I'm so longest, sorry to hear that. the longest I've gone without training since I started jujitsu. Have you talked about that in a podcast yet? I didn't, if I have, it, I've barely touched on it, Yep. but not on a mat brain podcast. So well, what's going on with you? <sighs> Uh, sometime back in May, I was coming to uh, Nogi almost exclusively. Uh-huh. I, I had I like gave up even like worrying about where my belt blue belt is or gi or anything. I, yeah. I had to find it after a couple. I was like, where are those things? Because yeah. I was just doing Nogi, um, and I was working really hard at solar panels and solar panels. You know, good thirty to fifty pounds each. Yep. Uh, they're really arduous, big, long, rectangular things. Awkward to hold. Very awkward to hold on a rooftop that's also canted at an angle. It's a whole lot of load on your spine. Sure. Getting taken down in nogi, and nogi's a lot more intense and a lot more quick, and the the pace is a little it lends itself to a bigger margin for mistakes or um, falling weight and things like that, and. When I say falling weight, I don't just mean my fat ass because I take other people down too sometimes. I've um, seen it. <laughs> it uh, I felt it. This time was, uh, I think it was a mixture of nogi standing up, where, where we're standing, uh, starting up. How can I phrase that better? You were starting St- from standing. Starting from standing position, right? Yep. And doing solar panels and then doing any skateboarding I can get in and not really working on recovery. But you had already had a back injury prior to all this too, right? Yeah. That was from a long time ago. It was a skateboarding. uh, No, it was a powerlifting. I did a fucking powerlifting deadlift. Well, I was a a competition. Mm, Yeah. uh, Even worse. I I, I wasn't even in competition. It was, out of competition. And I think I only did one more competition after that injury. And it was like over a year or two later. Yeah. But yeah, sometime back. You don't even have to tell me where that was. Back in 2018. It was in my spine. Yeah. Jason. Um, <laughs> I know it was in your spine. That's what it was. <laughs> it, uh, so I like herniated a disc pulling 325, not warmed up properly. And honestly, just lifting poorly was bad form. And that was. That was on me because I, I yeah. had won competitions at this point. I had gone to the AAU state championship and won that. There was no reason for me to be doing it so badly. Sure. But I was in a mood and mad at someone and just, just yanked it up. And then, and, oh, yeah. So it was a whole lot of bonehead for me, and that's what hurt my back. But years later now, uh, back in May 2022, so almost four years later, I forget I even had a back injury. Back's very strong, feels good at this point. I, I remember even thinking at some point in this last year, working electrical, I was on a roof and I was like, dude, where'd my back injury go? It doesn't even get sore anymore. Uh, you know, not even right, not yeah. even doing that. And then sometime in December, I was, I was skateboarding and it like, it felt like something kind of like pinch. And I was like, that's not good. I can't do this. And I was like, 
man, I think my back injuries returned. Yep. It didn't until May, five or six months later. And mm -hmm. I was just getting off work one day and I like couldn't sit down in the work truck and I had a 30 minute drive ahead of me. So I just kind of, kind of like did, you know, when you got a shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're driving. So you like lift your hips uh -huh. up off. You're like, oh shit. Cause you can clinch harder. Yeah. Squeeze that's harder. basically what I did. And it took me 30 minutes to drive back to the shop, 30 minutes outside the shop just to be able to sit back down again or move. My back was so fucked. I herniated. I slipped a disc, not even realizing it. Real, not even that realizing sucks. it, but realize, yeah. realizing it. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't like when I was doing the deadlift and I was like, oh, fuck, I felt it. Whereas this one was like, oh, my God, what what did I do? And it just, I feel like it, it just was like a time bomb and I just sat down at the right time and just went. Got it. And just poked out of both sides. Got it. So I'm having some like major sciatic pain. My foot falls asleep all the time. My oh, Last night was brutal. I was waking up every 30 minutes it was that sucks dude i'm really sorry to hear that me too because i was really like doing some uh physical therapy and making some progress and was feeling really good and stronger and without a doubt i've made some progress but i just want to train again so badly yeah but you got it you're doing it wisely you know i can say that like i think from what we've talked about either off air or on air so far as you talked about your physical therapy that you were doing which is good and that's all just kind of through insurance, yeah. you know, insurance says, well, first go to the doctor and the doctor does this. And then the doctor says, no mm -hmm. more monkeys jumping on the bed. Yeah. So you go back again. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do per their standards, but physical therapy is important regardless. And so the physical therapy you went through is good. Um, and it's going to make progress, but sometimes there's setbacks and setbacks aren't necessarily, you know, they're not great, but they can't, they're not devastating. You just got to keep pushing forward figure it out like what did you do the day before that or the day before that that maybe yeah. set it off maybe did you push yourself a little too hard doing one thing or another um sorry to interrupt you go ahead no you're fine it's it's important feedback to have and it, it sometimes when people say things that you think yourself and they put them into words it uh makes it more palpable it personifies it and it creates the dialogue that you had in your head or monologue and it makes it tangible it's yeah. in the universe you're in right because yeah. it's like you can have a thought a lot and you you believe it and you feel it and then it never really hits how hard it could until someone else verbalizes it yeah. make that connection it's really important really good i'm a big fan of uh drilling sure <laughs> and then like it, for me it adds like some validity too to it Absolutely. you know if i'm thinking about something and i'm like scared Wait to say it. it out loud because i don't know that people are going to agree with it or it's going to be a valid thing and then somebody else says it too and then i'm like yes all right i want to write this down this is a, you're kind of triggering something for me right now Where's sweet I had a, there it is <laughs> all right because uh i've been doing stand-up again uh -huh. thankfully and uh, something that is so difficult is conveying a funny thought you write down to, to a funny thought in front of people on a stage. I'm much funnier off of stage, which is sucks when you yeah. want to be a comic. You're like, right. oh, uh, can I be funny where it counts and people are watching me? And yeah. my, I'm putting all this self-worth on and this, I'm placing <laughs> this constant <laughs> need for gratification and <laughs> right. like Please validation love me. from people. Please like yeah. me. Please love me, but for my fucked up opinions. <laughs> right. 
So I, I th- gotta honestly write that down. Do you ever think about like I mean if I was doing ever if I was ever to do stand up comedy, I would try and look at the audience and look at the people in the audience as they were just my friends. Like I was walking into a room with my friends and I was telling them these funny stories that have happened this week. No. But it's no, no, not no, like no, that. I'm is gonna it? stop you right there. It's not universal for everyone. Some people are good at jujitsu. Some people it takes takes them a while to get to blue belt. Whatever. I've been, done it in front of my friends, and you know what sucks when your friends are like s- sitting there smiling. They know you're funny, and they're like, <laughs> "Where's just, it at, Dallas? What's yeah, going on?" Right. You know, and it's like you're bombing to people you know, so that hurts something different. Uh, you know. When I bomb to people I don't know, I'm just like, fuck them. I'm never going to see these stupid asses again. They don't know yeah, they, what a genius I am somewhere and sometime right. and eventually will be, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when your friends right. are there, it's it, it's a different kind of hurt. I can see that. You understand where yeah. it's like more personal then? Yeah, you don't really want to answer your phone when they call you the next day. Yeah, when, like, and when you do stand up, you got to start somewhere. So where do you start? Somewhere you're comfortable. Where are you comfortable? Local watering hole, local bar where they have open mic night. That's where you go with your friends. So a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of yeah. cutting your teeth is in front of the people that are judging you from a place of love and those people usually have no problem telling you you fucking bomb dude that sucked cuz they love you and they're your yeah. friends and they will have the agency to do that so yeah i guess that kind of goes to um like when you go to a new city like when you move down to oceanside mm-hmm. and you were down in oceanside if you did any stand-up comedy down there, you're walking into a place where nobody's seen you. So if you walked in with a particular style, yeah. right? Like if you never dressed as a cowboy ever in your life, and then you go to this place and do stand-up comedy and you're dressed as a cowboy and not one person's ever seen you in their life, they're not going to think anything twice. They're yeah. going to look at you and be like, oh, he's a cowboy. It's a hick. Right. Oh yeah, let's do it. But you see the people that you grew up around, they're going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, that's not you. But there's been so many versions of you that they've seen throughout the course of your life that it's hard to kind of put those connections together. So if you're doing stand-up, yeah. maybe it's harder for, for people them to be like, oh, you think you're funny now? You think you're a stand-up now? Yeah, <laughs> right. Maybe something along those lines. Or they just have this image of you that they picture so, so much in a different, like a Dallas electrician. Like yeah. I see Dallas every day on a professional level as an electrician. And so it's hard for me to accept him as a comedian when he's up on stage in some totally manner, it's, right? And it's and it's true. It's funny it, because I saw friends that I just knew as jackasses in my own right, and then I thought I was the stand-up, right? I thought I'm thinking I'm the comedian, and then during this open mic night, uh, my friends went up after it and they just told stories because I. I went up before all them. I didn't know any of them were going to go up. I didn't think they had the balls to do it anyways. Yeah. And they did so great. And I was like, what the hell, man? Fuck. Then they leave you with these big ass shoes to fill. You're it like, was, oh, it was like, it you? was like I left them with uh, the confidence. I, I got to like be the canary in the coal mine of like, Oh, I'm not going to do as bad as Dallas. At least I got a story on lock. <laughs> I know what's, you know, I just read the room, watch him do it. But, uh, it wasn't the worst. It was actually because uh, I hadn't done it in a while because of COVID. And then it's a really tight area to do any stage time for comedy because Central Coast, everything's spread out. It's it, Comedy's not a big export here. Yeah. So I could see that. It's a little difficult. But there's the Ventura one, right? Ventura what? Comedy Club. Oh, the Oxnard. Or the the Oxnard. Levity Live. Yeah. Is that, That's good. Is it? I love that club. That's out by, it's by Brophy Brothers, right? I don't know. By Channel Islands Boulevard. Yeah, 
I think so. It's 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 in the the marina, like no, right next no, to the, not no, not not by the the marina is way out. In the, what's it called? The city little the outdoor mall. What is it called? The collection, the collection in Oxnard. That's where. Oh, okay. It, yeah. So it's called Levity Live. It's part of the improv um, franchise. I think. Sweet. They have great comedy shows. Um, I've seen the. I've laughed the hardest in my life there. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. I need, I want to go to a comedy show. I, so the, the thing about comedy shows for me, though, I think about going to any kind of live show where there's, you know, improv and, and uh, you know, people on stage are coming out and uh, interacting with the audience and stuff is I always get fucking picked on. <laughs> you always. know what? You went into a jujitsu gym as a brown belt and got picked on. You think maybe you just look like an asshole? Maybe. Fuck. Maybe. <laughs> is, I don't know. But I, first I can't of all, change first of the all, fact I'm bald. If I had to... You, you're bald, you have a beard, and you have and I'm white. two chicken nuggets <laughs> on your for ears, dude. It's wild. Yeah. If you walk people into my jiu-jitsu gym, on me, man. They you pick look on, they pick on terrifying. Me like crazy. Uh, people... You know, not so terrifying that people cross the street, though. Not that type of terrifying. I think that's because that, you're white, and they're like, he's actually just a nerd. Yeah. People's I think that, dude, I've lost a lot out. of weight. I'm kind of looking like a nerd right now. I'm kind of looking really skinny. And just, I, was th- I was thinking you look kind of fat. Fuck you. <laughs> ah, beautiful. Hey, that's one thing, <laughs> um, that, one thing that happened since not training is uh, I had time, I've had time to recover, so I, I, I dropped a bunch of weight. Yeah, you look good. Thank you. I saw you in the parking lot, and your haircut, and your your skin complexion. You look good. Thank you. Uh, also, I stopped. I didn't stop completely, but uh, don't eat seed oils. Good. And I That's eat good. a very closely animal based carnivore diet. Cool. So lots of fruit for all the carbohydrates I get are from fruit and honey, mm-hmm. and that's where I like where a lot of the sugar I get. Uh, you know, I still I still do shit like this. I got like a big you know vanilla cold brew yeah sweet bullshit i do that in the yeah. morning oh, maple I'm coffee a, i'm a bad i'm a bad boy when it comes to that bad boy <laughs> what, what i lost train of thought no that's okay we were talking about you being fat yeah i'm not fat though no yeah no you don't look like I'm a stud. nerd you look great you don't look you look stacked actually. um you back on well, the i'm kind of slouched over in yeah. the chair and that's kind nice. of forced myself to look all roly-poly um oh i gotta adjust myself i gotta clean myself up <clears throat> so I don't even know where that conversation was. Well, we were talking about um, comedy, and I then am. like you feel like you always get picked on at comedy yeah, shows. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah, I'm always getting kind of picked on at shows, uh, and then you said it's kind of look like an asshole, and. <laughs> I guess that's kind of right because my wife sometimes hits me on the shoulder when we're out in public, and she's like, "Stop!" And I'm like, "What?" Scowling she's like, You're at people, staring at that guy. I'm like. I was looking at him. She's like, not to him. Not to I'm him. Like, <laughs> Sorry, I guess it's it's not a bill. I'm just like I I guess I I I people watch very aggressively. Aggressively. See, people um, watching is totally fine until you look like a trained killer. So uh, you yeah. you look like someone would hire you to be like like a evil man's like not henchmen, but like one of the like like the bad guy, guys the guy assassins. that does the shit, the like guy the, that does the, the, dark, the dirty work. The, yeah, the contractor. Like you're like ex military, like con, you look like ex military contractor. That's like, awesome, dude. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So let me tell you a story about actually that my look and my appearance that potentially saved my life along with jujitsu just recently on my way to Vegas. Really? You want to hear a 
freaking cool story? Not really. All right. I don't think they do either. <laughs> but you're Bring going to. We were. Okay. So me and my wife and Jacob went to Vegas. Again, going back to the World Championship Masters Tournament in Vegas. With oh, Matt. this is the same trip. Same trip. Okay. Yep. So me and Kat and Jacob are meeting up with Matt and Kaz and the girls over in mm -hmm. Vegas. And we were supposed to leave in the morning, but we got too tied up here at the gym. So we had to do some loose ends here. We left late in the afternoon around like three thirty, four o'clock from here and started driving to Vegas. We get into Barstow and Kat was like, do you need to use the restroom at all? And we already had enough gas to keep going. And I was like, no, I'm good. I think we'll make it. Um, I think I just want to keep pressing through to Vegas. And she's like, okay, no, no problem. So we keep going and like 30 minutes, maybe 45 miles outside of Barstow on the Vegas side, like closer to Vegas than yeah. us, there was a rest stop coming up and I had to use the restroom. I was like, shit, I should have stopped in Barstow, but it is what it is. Let's pull over here. Mm -hmm. So Kat was like, all right, just make it quick. So we pull over on the rest stop and the rest stop is this one where semi trucks have to go to the left and then autos go to the right. And then the rest stop and restroom facilities is in the middle. Yeah. Um, and so it's by this time, it's like 945, close to 10 o'clock at night. And I uh, park and we pull in and there's maybe two cars there and there's maybe one person and like another person with that guy in his vehicle. And then there's another open car. And I don't really see anybody else. But as soon as we pulled in, Kat was like, Jace, I don't have a good feeling about this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you listen okay. When, when someone um, you love says something about that. Yeah. Even, even if you're like, I'm, you're crazy. Like, you yeah. take it seriously. Yep, I did. And, and I totally did. Yeah. I totally did. And I said, oh, uh, uh, what's going on? She goes, I just don't get the, I don't like the vibe right now. I don't like the way this feels. And I said, okay, let me just pull over real quick and open the car. Let me just get out of the car and see how I like, see what is going on and uh, if I don't use the restroom let me just grab a bottle of water from the back seat and get Jacob a snack pretzels or something like that you know so I park the car in a parking spot and I get out of the driver's seat open the car door and I'm facing my wife who's in the passenger seat and I'm like you're right this doesn't really feel that good let me just get a snack and a water bottle and we'll jump back in and I'll get well, I'll just use the restroom on the side of the road somewhere or something so I go around to the back door on the driver's side of the truck and I open that door and I start getting a snack and I throw Jacob a bag of chips and I throw my wife a water bottle and I pull myself a water bottle out and then I close the snack container up and that's kind of hidden and stuff mm. and out of my peripheral um, in my right side I see a person walk be behind my tailgate and I can only see them from their from their neck to their chest because it, I have my can't, my tent, yeah. my the rack and the tent yeah. on the back of the truck. So I saw them through that gap between my tailgate and the tent and the reflectiveness of the taillights. And as soon as I saw them, in the ref I dropped what was in my hands and I turned to the right towards the rear of the truck and they're a foot away from me. And I was like, what the fuck do you want? And I stepped up to him. And his hands were in his pocket of his sweater. And he took a step back. And he was kind of like, at that point, I broke, I broke his OODA loop. Yeah. I broke his train yeah, of thought. absolutely. Like, he didn't expect me. He didn't expect my look. He didn't expect uh, the reaction I gave him when I turned around. He didn't expect me to see him. 
but I saw him in my peripheral. So when I turned around, I caught him and I just was like, what the fuck do you want? And his hands were in his pocket. And then he could, took a big step back and there was enough distance. And at that point I'm kind of freaking a little bit because I'm oh, like, yeah. this dude's going to pull yeah. out a gun trained and shoot or, me trained or, not. That's or pull out a knife terrifying. or anything. Yeah. But I didn't let the fear overwhelm me. And so he asked me, he goes, do you have any food? And this guy clearly is not hungry. He's not homeless. He's a, he's a fucking thief. Like, I can't even tell you. I'm not going to use any descriptions. I'm just going to say this guy is clearly a thief. He's, yeah. he's going to jack me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I was like, I don't have any food. And I take another step towards him, and he takes another step back. And then he says, you don't have any cookies? And I was like, I don't have any fucking cookies. And I took another step towards him. And at this point, when I took another step towards him, I noticed there was somebody else with him standing about 15 feet away watching on the corner of this little sidewalk. Yeah, and then um, the, the lineup was perfect. And then he took another step back. And I was like, I don't have any fucking food. It's time for you to leave. And then he starts walking around my tailgate. And I kind of followed him. And then the guy on the corner of the sidewalk starts walking around and trying to meet up with him. And I run back around the side of the truck, close the side door, jump in the driver's seat, fucking peeled out of there, got in the highway and got out of there. And my wife was just the whole time like, God, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Heart was my going chest. crazy. Ugh. You know, Jacob was like zoned on his iPad, fortunately. Good so he didn't him. see no what was going on at him. the time. That's no good. problems for him. Thank God. Um, but I got in the truck and I was like, holy shit, we were seriously about to be robbed. Like that was literally a robbery about to happen. There was no, so wow. here's, here's why wow. I'm going to say that it was for sure, no doubt, this guy was going to rob me. Uh, Everything you said, any person with brainstem could deduce robbery. 100%. That, right? Yeah, you were being mugged. I've been in a position be. before where I've needed assistance. And it's not really been that great of a place for me to just surprise somebody. So I don't surprise people I, I from a distance because I understand I have an appearance. So I hold my hands up and I say, excuse me, excuse me. Do I, can I ask you a small favor, a question? I, I'm safe. Like my hands are in front of you. I'm super defense. Like I just maybe. So his thing is he could have been where that one guy was on the corner of the sidewalk with his hands in the air and said, excuse me. I'm so hungry. Like, do you, could you spare a bag of chips or a water or something like that? So you, can I have your attention for a second? No. He fucking snuck up, walked, crept around the tailgate of my truck and up to me. I, if I didn't see him, he didn't announce himself. So when I turned to the right and saw him within a foot of me and his hands in his sweater pocket and I approached and I took a step towards him and said, what the fuck do you want? Um, and he'd had to take a step back. Mm-hmm. That was what threw him off. And I saw his spirit break. I saw him like look at me and be like, "Oh fuck, wrong dude." Like, <laughs> I, I've 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 seen I've seen that look because I've very occasionally gotten to be that person where I broke their mm-hmm. yeah it's, concentration. It, it, you know it their when it happens, right? Shook. Like yeah. you knew it. You took it. You 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 just reached and took it from him. And you know uh. now you have this power. And that's why I took another step towards him when he asked me if I had any food. And then he said, do you have any cookies? I said, no, this guy was not in the shape. He didn't need food. He wasn't hungry. He wasn't dirty. He wasn't grungy. He was somebody who was there to rob me. Yeah. Um, So we got out of there safely. Right. And uh, the scary part was like, had, had I not reacted the way I reacted, I mean, it could have gone different from the start. He could have had that thing in his hand. Maybe he was just hungry and really wanted some food and didn't and know how to the, approach yeah, me. Yeah, the biggest dumbass ever. <laughs> right? Uh, but that's not what happened. So he didn't have his, he didn't, like, if he had a knife, also, I would have been like, take the food, take it. I, mean, I don't have it. You yeah. want it? Yours. Yeah. Like, okay. uh, you want my wallet? Also, Here. Also, if he was actually 
scared of you and he was asking if you had food and he knows that he has now entered your space and that bubble and that security of the vehicle and your family and he realizes that he might have pissed off the wrong person or caused that trespass he'd be like oh hey sorry man I didn't mean any trouble. I'm yep. just hungry. Do you have any food? Maybe he'd pull his hands out of his pockets. Mm-hmm. There's no yep. fucking way that wasn't something sinister. And you looking like the fucking serial killer you look like, you know, like on a TV show, not like yeah. the way the Jeffrey Dahmer looks. That kind of like a, a Jason Statham on steroids. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, if Jason Statham and Conor McGregor had a baby. Yeah. Yeah. You look like yeah, that baby absolutely. was older than both of them. <laughs> Jason Statham's older than you. I'm I'm the middle child between him and Connor. Yeah, I mean, I know you look older than Jason Statham, but he's older than you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that was crazy, dude. Damn, it was gnarly. Dude. And so that like, that was funny when you said my appearance and stuff, because it, you're right. It kind of, it, it speaks volume. What were you wearing? I don't even remember. I mean, I, wearing, I know you I was, weren't. I, know. I was wearing short, I was wearing shorts, flip flops and a t-shirt. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was it. And it was all black. It was a black t-shirt because it was probably my Allegiant Fitness mm-hmm, t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my black shorts and my flip-flops. Bald head, white guy in a big lifted truck with <laughs> like yeah, a nice tent rack and everything yeah. on there. Like if I was going to rob someone, I, first of all, truck, kind of a bad idea because I feel like everyone who drives a truck has a gun. should have a gun in there right. at some point. Or is someone who is familiar because they've gotten far enough in life that they're like, I have, I have a truck. Well, that's what my friends were saying. They were like, dude, I always carry when I'm out there on that desert road. Like, I don't ever go out that way without carrying. And they were saying, if that was me, I would have had, I would have been strapped to my waist and I would have had my gun drawn in a second. You know, I would have blasted that dude come up on me like that. And I kind of, I, I agree, you know, like, but at the same time, I'm always going to play devil's advocate until I'm proven otherwise. Like I'm not also, the judge. You don't of need this a situation. case on your hands. I don't need that. Because if everything that occurred had occurred just like that, and you had a gun drawn on him now, right? Like you'd have to have the wherewithal to not shoot him, right? Which is equal equally a part of training as shooting, right? And maybe you have to shoot this guy, right? Maybe he goes, oh shit, and then pulls like his hands out of his pockets and does like, you know, put, try goes to put his hands up. Maybe he has his right. phone in his hand and right. he ends up on a t-shirt, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> totally. And so like, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not a gun guy. I, I like guns. I yeah. do, just don't yeah. be wrong. It's, I like, it's just not your life. I'm not like, I'm not, I don't, they're not my self-defense. My self-defense is my hands. Of course. You know, like, and I understand that I'm outnumbered and outweighed when it comes to like somebody that has a knife, somebody that has a gun and stuff like that. But it doesn't mean I'm going to start carrying a gun with me and stuff like that. It's a choice I'm willing to make. So yeah, it's because what if, what is to play advocate here? What let's, let's theorize it real quick. Or I don't know if that's the appropriate word, but what if this guy who I didn't see what vehicle he got into afterwards, because I was so quick to get out of there. What if he's had some social situational uh, or social disorder where he didn't know how to uh, assert himself into yeah. somebody's uh, area, somebody's mm-hmm. space? So he came up no, like he would in the daylight to anybody else. And the person on the corner of the sidewalk wasn't just naturally with him and using the restroom. And they had to stop because maybe a child in the vehicle needed to have blood pressure regulated and needed some food. And he didn't know how to say, do you have sugar? Do you have this? Like, mm-hmm. do you have food? Maybe that's easier mm-hmm. to just ask is, do you have food? Yeah. You know, and like, 
and I reacted so quickly when he caught me off guard like that. And I was like, what the fuck do you want? You know, like that throws his oodle loop off and kind of breaks him. So maybe all of a sudden he's like, uh, uh, do you have any cookies? Like, that's the only thing I could think of for, I don't know. I'm just trying to play. I just, to the gun thing is, what if that was the case? What if somebody did have a gun, drew their gun, shot this dude and found out that there was a person in the car that needed some food or something like that. And the person walking out of the bathroom was just a person riding with them to Vegas on their way from mm-hmm. California. And everyone could have gone home fine and dandy. And maybe I just scared him. And if that's the true case and that's what was happening. And instead of me having a gun, I just scared him. And he walked back into his car and was like, fuck, I'm never asking anybody for anything again at a rest stop. <laughs> um, you know, so like it could have, I don't know what the truth is. I just know what I felt in my heart and my wife going back to the beginning of this where she said it didn't feel right and me getting out of the car and it not feeling right. And then this guy's look and his demeanor and the way he snuck up on me, like it, I know kind of where it was headed and, but, um, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't deny those instincts. And yeah. I think very, it's important that you did that because you probably put that fear into his mind and that's probably less likely to happen and occur where he's approaching someone with ill intent. Sure. Again, you probably eliminated that conflict happening I hope to so. someone else because so. you did that. Yeah, and I, I hope so too. I had to throw someone out of the bar Kylie works at in Los Alamos recently and uh-huh. it was it was the same thing where it, it was threw someone off their their game you know yeah this guy was being an asshole and thought he, it, uh, it's a whole story but sure regardless did it to him grabbed him put i had to put hands on him and push him the fuck out of the bar yeah yeah and it's i i just really have to thank jujitsu and people like you I couldn't have done that five years ago, six years ago, maybe even two or three years ago. Right. Maybe I'd be like, oh, uh, maybe all my jujitsu is bullshit. Maybe all that confidence I've gained from it is really just ego and it's arrogance and not confidence. But even with my back injury and even so, and even someone that needed to be removed from building, I maybe stopped him from being a cunt somewhere else to someone. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe next time he'll think twice. I hope like, so. If there's a lesson to be learned, hopefully they learned it, you know, because yeah. next time they may not be so forgiving. And, and, and how cool is it that maybe that guy goes, damn, I need to do something better now. I need to be better than that. Yeah. And no one got hurt. And I didn't hurt that other guy. You know, right. he was, he was crazy. He has some other issues. He's definitely like on drugs, but maybe he goes, oh shit, what am I doing in my life? Maybe he wakes up the next day like, that could have ended way worse. Why yeah. did I, why was I like that? Right. You know, you know how you are when you yep. like have a rough night or do something silly, you're, yeah. you know, you're drinking and then the next day you're like, Oh hell no. You're that like you sleep on it and you have the, the hindsight yep. of 2020 vision. Jeez. Yeah. I fucked up. Let's not do that again. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was, he might've had that. Somebody told me something and I don't think that like in the moment, I, I don't want me to jump around, uh, jump around dude. But, Somebody said something to me one time, and it's not like I think about this every single time it happens or in the exact moment, but I think I've thought about it enough and kind of ingrained it into my spirit enough that it just happens naturally. But when I find spiders, typically I don't kill them. Um, I grab a container 
and I remove them and then I let them go into a bush. Like, especially here at the school, at, at Grace Ba, at our school, everyone's like, oh, there's a spider on the mat, kill it. I'm like, don't. And I'll go get a cup and a piece of paper and I'll catch it and I'll put it outside and in a bush where it belongs. And I do this because I heard it somewhere and I can't, I don't remember where it was so long ago. So credit to whoever said it because I really live by it and repeat it is that if I'm ever in the wrong place at the wrong time, I hope there's somebody kind enough to just gently remove me from the situation and put me in a safer place instead of just somebody coming up and smashing me, right? Like, we don't need to kill the spider. The spider has its purpose. You have your purpose. I have my purpose. The, everyone has their purpose. So don't just smash the bug, right? Relocate it. And so I've always been this person where like, I try and have, give people the benefit of the doubt. And for the most, for, for most cases, and just be like, I don't want to just resort to smashing. I don't want to just smash the spider, you know, like, cause it, what if I was, what if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time? There's, and I just hope somebody's nice enough to be like, hey, buddy, you don't want to be here right now. Yeah. Hey, you hope, but if everyone has a, a reason and a, to, some people's purpose is to be smashed. Maybe that's the case. Violence is sometimes the answer. It is absolutely sometimes the answer. Yes, there's definitely a time where violence is the answer. When there's spiders in my house, um, if Kylie's around, if her mom's around, I can't kill the fucking thing. But I still do sometimes. Mm -hmm. And when they're not around, I absolutely kill it. And kind of the reason I do this is, first of all, spider bite right there. Got bit by a spider recently. Little bastard. Not Maybe fun. it's the karma from all the killing. Maybe, but That's I, I killed kill his him. ass. Woke up with him I don't on my get arm spider bites. a couple days later. I, you, you ever watch Dexter? No, I, people have asked me about it. No, regardless, intro to the show. He there's there's a mosquito sucking his blood, and he just smacks it before waking up, and like like he it's like on him, and he smacks it, and he eyes open. And that's exactly what happened. The spider is crawling on my arm a couple days after I had already had this bite, uh -huh. and, I just, and I wake and I just I just wipe his guts off and just go right back to sleep. Don't even look at it. Just sleep in the gore of it yeah you know i was so like that was my that was my little like minute little tough guy feeling moment but mm -hmm. the reason i would kill kill again is uh something i believe i heard on John if you get hot podcast. in here i can turn on the air conditioning somehow if if you get hot go for it i you don't mind i don't mind too. being i, I do jujitsu sometimes okay uh i'm comfortable with heat all right either way if you can want to open that door you can open that door if it gets hot, I don't know where the thermostat is for this office. This gym is somewhat still new to me. Thanks, babe. Um, I maybe I heard it on Jocko's podcast. Maybe it was someone. It was an operator, right? And it was why do you, I, I want to say it, it went something like is overkill a real thing in war? Is like why do you shoot someone so many times? Or if you, you saw someone who was shot, you know you empty a magazine into someone is that overkill and why do you do that and some uh, he had said well the reason i don't do seven out of ten and i go the full ten is because someone else might <laughs> if i'm doing maybe i'm doing five out of ten rounds and this person's doing ten out of ten rounds shooting me 
right. uh, maybe just levels, not necessarily bullets, of sure. course, but maybe I'm not being violent enough and they're being completely, they, they reach 10. Yeah. They hit a hundred. Mm-hmm. You on the mat with the professor in Las Vegas. Right. right. He went to 10 before you did. Yeah. You're five or seven. That caught you off guard. Yep. If that was a bigger moment where there was violence happening, if there was a spider that was actually venomous enough to kill me or could kill me. Right. I'm going to kill him first. I'm going to kill her first. I'm going to kill a black widow because can't let it kill me. I just got a new puppy. Can't let it kill the dog. Yep. Can't let it bite Kylie. Yep. Can't let it kill Kylie. Yep. Can kill a fucking spider first. Yep. Because I know 100% whatever, whatever like bad feelings I'll have about it, maybe I'll dwell on it. Maybe there's a, a dog running after me or, you know, yeah. whatever it may be. If I beat him to the punch, I save myself or I save someone I care about. Yeah. And that's important. And I know that's yeah. I know that's a big analogy for something so kind of like infinitesimal, like a spider. Right. But it's okay. It though. just works for me. It, yeah. And that's just like my example. You know, I'm not. I don't actually have to be in combat, which yeah. is nice. I I like. I probably appreciate that more than like my delusional, daydreamy child self would sure. love to like you know go shoot bad guys, cops and robbers, you yeah, know, terrorists and. I look, guy, at it, I look at it as they're, they're balanced though. Like, because don't get me wrong. Like what's strange to some people maybe is that I honestly don't give a fuck if you kill that spider. It's good. Like you want to kill the spider, kill the fucking spider. I don't care. I, it, it is what it is. You, there, there is a so, line of sadism for some people though, right? There's totally a line, right? Like if I can save that spider, why not? Like if I go I'll, kill I'll a go, butterfly. Then you're a sadist. Yeah. Yeah. You go, don't, don't, don't touch of, the butterfly. Don't weird. rip the wings off of it. Yeah. It's not cool. But I mean, so like, I don't, you know what I mean though? And so I understand that violence is the answer sometimes. And so I've been talk, I've talked about what if I had enlisted out of, you know, yeah. high school and stuff oh, like that and gone yeah. into, um, uh, war yeah. and gone into the military. I, I'm, I'm all for, I'm all for it. Like you got to pull that trigger. It's kill or be killed. And there's reasons you're pulling that trigger. And so like, that's another subject for another day, but, uh. I don't, I don't shy away from that. I understand there has to be a balance. Um, when it comes to meat, you know, I'm, I'm a carnivore. Like, hey, I'll kill my own game meat. Like, I have no problem hiking out into the, out into the Los Padres National Forest with my bow and putting down a deer. Oh, and putting down turkey, putting down. I'm, I'm going to kill. I'm going to kill something and I'm going to eat Sounds like it. heaven. Totally. Honestly. And, and yeah, I have no problem with that at all. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not going to be senseless in my violence. I'm not going to just kill to kill. I'm not going to smash a spider if I can save the spider. Why? It's good. Right? it's good to have that kind of restraint too. Yeah. It's really important. I think it's really important in the context of someone's life being respected because it is basically practicing how to have um, restraint Yeah. in other places in your life. Yeah. You know, just a little spider. Like this guy. He's a spider. Yeah. He's a spider. Didn't have to I could have killed him. Didn't could have. I could have. Maybe he bites someone else. Uh, maybe someone else smashes him. But maybe that's another day. That's another day. It's and I just else. relocated the spider. Yeah. You know, absolutely. somebody else can smash that spider, and I don't yeah, give a fuck. Maybe, yeah. No. Maybe. Maybe lives a 
a happy life in his web. Maybe that spider realizes, oh, I ain't going back in there. Hell no. I'm staying out here in the jungle. Yeah. You know, I, hey, whatever the universe puts in order is what it puts in order. But at the, that's kind of... I'm going to walk out of here and shoot someone in the parking lot now. That's not order. <laughs> I'm going to walk out. Someone's going to punch me. Fucking <laughs> 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 stress me out. Smash spider! Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, no. Smash the spider. Don't smash the spider. If you can avoid smashing the spider, avoid it. Yeah, and then maybe you'll do something good in the universe, and you won't get bit by a spider. I don't eat shark. You know why I don't eat shark? Because I swim in bad. the ocean. Oh, because you swim in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Fuck that, dude. I, Gar- Karma's real, dude. I, I'm from Lompoc, shark attack capital of California, surf beach. They killed yeah. many surfers there. If there's a shark around, I'm gonna eat it in honor of those fallen surfers. Even we we sit up we sit up on land in our in our five star restaurants dining elegantly on shark. Who's it gets this we cut, shit? Because well, I haven't done know, any of that. I, You're no, talking, we, that's we a different conversation. Chips. We go fish I and chips and tacos. If you looked like that, I wouldn't let you in my restaurant. <laughs> if I, no, like, I, go outside with the spiders yeah. we threw out. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, most people we go get the shark. Anyways, yeah, we're up here on our land eating shark mm. like nothing, la la la, and then we go in the ocean and think that they ain't gonna eat us. It's 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 a balance. We they, they we go in there, you know. It's I don't not know, everyone thinks that. A lot of people are like, I think I'm gonna get eaten by a shark if I go in the water. I, I like I'm terrified. So many of people sharks. think about that. They uh, so many people think about uh, if they go in the water, they're gonna get eaten by a shark. I think it's because of the movie Jaws. It has to Had be the it movie affected Jaws never. culture so much. Yeah. Because think about how many things that can and will and do kill people that no one talks about. There's no hippopotamus movie. They kill more people per year than any, any shark. How funny in any would that be, though? If yeah. They made it hippo. It's called Hungry, Hungry, hungry Hippo. Hippos. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly the fucking Hungry, Hungry Hippos horror movie. Oh, that'd be so funny. <sighs> Yeah, I'd watch it. Yeah, fuck yeah. Or, or I, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot more people are afraid of snakes because Ice Cube and J Lo getting chased in Anaconda. The Anaconda movie. Yeah, you know, the '90s produced some good movies. Dude. Yeah, dude. I, good, good time to be born. Yeah, I know you were born in the '70s. But. I don't know. I was born just in time to experience the '90s for their for what they were. I was born in 1985, so come 1990, I was five years old. I was living my '90s. That's wild. Dream. Gosh. You started like, masturbating in the 90s. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? Classic. I don't remember. Pages, but. paper, magazines, catalogs, your imagination. The world was different then. Yeah. The world is so much different. I used to have this messenger bag in my room in junior high, and I had all these like random porno mags that I had, not like two or three, uh-huh. that I had like collected somehow. And I would keep them in there, and it it was like behind a bunch of like it was in it looked like it would be like an obvious place, but it was literally just I never used this messenger bag. There was like sweatshirts on it and everything, and it was just like blended right in. And I haven't thought about that. Was that your go-to? That was my go-to. That was where I hid, hid my little porno mag. It wasn't <laughs> even like my go-to because like, I think all little boys had like a Playboy under their yeah, bed or yeah, in a, exactly in a, yeah in a closet, mm. you know, underneath a sweater because, or whatever. Yeah, like. Smartphone. Bo- little boys like us in our time, though. Yeah. But I don't. I don't know what that's like now. I don't. Oh God, I know. I. I'm. It's so easy it's to all, just pull it phone. up on your phone. A hundred percent. Think about how early you were. Fuck. Had to interface with porn somehow, and now 
think about how easy it is on your phone and think about how young kids must be exposed to that. I'll tell you right now that I think I was absolutely exposed to it way too early. Uh, I had gone rifling around in my dad's stuff Mm -hmm. one night when he was like passed out on the couch Mm -hmm. and I found a bunch of his magazines and didn't even know what I was looking at. I couldn't have been older than five or six. Yeah. And I looked at a lot of stuff. You were like, what? And I was like, I don't know what this is, but all two inches of me are erect right now. Wow. (laughs) It was, and I think that fucked me up for the rest of my life. I think that there's there's definitely merit to that. I think that you lose a level of innocence. You start, you know, and it's just like, wow. There's like a respect for intimacy that you will never have now. I've literally been playing with the idea. Uh, not myself, but um, playing with the idea of going to a hypnotherapist uh-huh. to try and get like not de- resensitized, but to like stop being interested or overtly sexual or like have like anything that's like too invasive. Because I yeah. think I think a lot of people are, are don't realize that because like porn and all the like only fans and you know it's free online and like everyone's exposed to so much of that now that it's like actually toxic right and i think that uh because i fucking went rifling around when i was really young and then i had those magazines in the messenger bag when i was a teenager and that now i can just pull up my phone and look at any boobs i want in the world right (sighs) probably not good and healthy and i'm thinking um, I've heard a lot of great things about hypnotherapy. I wonder if they do that to where they could like break you of that uh, kind of like poisoned way of thinking yeah. about and objectifying yeah. people and women. Because like it, it's so hard to like, you know, I've battled get, get this. it out of your head about it. I've uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I battled I haven't battled anything but I've had this conversation with people before and it's it's a it's an interesting conversation to have, but the back when I was growing up you know like I remember I was exposed to it pretty early on too, and uh, in several different ways I was exposed to it you know one day I was walking through the bushes out in Gal- Gal- Galita oh, yeah. out out in the I found some bushes Galita, in the bushes with my friends when I was really young and we were going through it, and there was this little like plowed out area in the weeds and there was a blanket out there and there was a magazine there and it was just like I, that was my first exposure if I remember correct if I can remember that far back, but it was just weird. And so like, but nowadays it's at everybody's fingertips and stuff. And so the, the, the thing that I've talked about with people openly is that pornography is causing earlier and earlier onset erectile dysfunction in young men. Yeah. I've heard this. Absolutely. It's because it's training your brain. If you ever look at the, if I've looked at a study, I don't remember what, where it is or what it was called, but it was just a simple thing. And it was kind of showing you a brain image in comparison from a heroin addict addict. and and somebody who's addicted to pornography. We saw the same thing. Okay. So yeah. yeah, And it's, it's, it's so close and like the, the, the way the brain's functioning at that point with this addiction is very similar. And so you're basically teaching yourself, um, so many different things that are not right. And so like in pornography, when we were kids growing up, like it was a VHS tape, right? Yeah. There was no yeah. fast forward. Like you could fast forward, but you, you, there when was you, no if skipping. You, if you, when yeah. you decided you put that thing in the VCR and you sat down, you 
you, your eyes were like, what the fuck am I watching? Like you watched from start until you like could stand up and turn it back off. Yeah. Right now, full disclosure, you should probably turn the rest of this episode off if this are sensitive to this type of stuff because the conversation will continue. One, two, three. Okay, so, but you 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 have the start to the finish, right? So you watch the whole thing, which could be 30 minutes to 40 minutes to 50 minutes mm-hmm. or whatever. You, you, in that moment, you see the buildup. Mm-hmm. You see the meat, you see the buildup, you see the engagement, you see the, everything, you see the forward play, you see all that stuff. Yeah. And then you see the ending, right, to mm-hmm. it. So your brain is still watching everything happen. But as time goes on, people lose, you don't, we don't have time. You don't have time to watch that. Yeah, you're you don't like, have time. So I know, I know which part. So you start micro. I associate the feeling yeah. of the the orgasm or yeah, like yeah. the finish of it, where you're where you're feeling the happiest. So that's why I think, like what you're saying is like people people would just go to a compilation of certain moments that was the most valuable to yep. them in their system, and then when you finally do have. Uh, physical intimacy with someone you can person. keep that mindset for you can it's like a 15 second it's like i'm telling you it's like a 15 second thing for 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 some people it was so minor it's like, it's like oh i the, the my fixation is here and the rest of this isn't working yeah so we need to get to that part and i don't know it it's toxic dude it's, it's so toxic. toxic and so that's i've actually like i I've, I've have friends that we talk about this, you know, kind of often because of how toxic it is and, uh, what needs to happen to stop it. I mean, it's always going to continue. I think that there's no stopping it from the, the industry is what the industry is and it's only going to get worse, but like talk, talk to your kids and talk to your, you know, these young men and tell them that this is not acceptable. Like, you know, for find your woman, find your woman, love your wife, you know, get married. Do, do you think? Do you think? Somebody. Do you think maybe just don't don't sexually objectify women? You know, you're going to be so much better off if you just don't watch porn. I think I think it's a really one of the most damaging addictions that isn't so physically poisonous in the way that drugs and alcohol and substances can be, but it is still absolutely physically damaging to your psyche, to your your erectile dysfunction, your sexual function. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Right? It's detrimental to your life, to your health, and to your life. Like, just don't do it. <laughs> that's, that's I think that's what, just no, don't do no, it. No, no, November's coming up, dude. No, no, no. What, what if you're married? Like, <laughs> the, oh, then it's no, it's not a healthy every, life every is day. a healthy sex every, life. Every month. You know, like, a healthy or, let me say this, a healthy, a healthy sex life helps produce a healthy yeah. life. You yeah. know, like, if you're with somebody, if you're if you're intimately with somebody, have yeah, have sex often. And and that's saying and that's saying an unhealthy sex life is having it be too influenced by those exterior things, the, those unrealistic expectations, right. and then also not having a intimate relationship. Yeah, be a part of that. That, that to me, that's also an unhealthy sex life. Right. Is it becomes something that isn't talked about. It isn't addressed and it isn't shared because there's some people that are really good people, right? They have great relationship, great friends. And then there's this one component to their relationship that they're not great with. Right. Just like everyone when it, not even just when it comes to that subject, or that topic, you know, it could be a variety of things like, Oh, not a great communicator. You know, maybe, you know, it could be a little more responsible with like household things like, that's one of those things where it's like you can work on that. You need to work on that, and you need to be able to have the 
conversation with your loved one. You'd mm-hmm. be able to have that facilitate. Yep. Yeah. It's, another kind of spin off of that is that one of the things I think that that's contributed to is a lack of respect for old school traditions when it comes to like approaching a woman to Court, ask her for courtship. a date, Court, courtship, right? Yeah. And stuff. So I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and it was an older gentleman and he asked me, or I asked him the question. I said, Hey, how did you meet your wife? How long have you been married? And he says, Oh, we've been married for 60 plus years. Uh, I met my wife when I was 15 years old and uh, I went to dinner with a friend of mine out at a restaurant. And he said, my gift to you is I have a girl that I want you to meet this babe. She's a babe. I want you to meet her. And he goes, okay, well, what's her address? Because back then there's no phones. There's no phones. There's no, uh, there's no, like he's got to get her address and drive to her house. So he gets the address from his buddy and he drives by the house and she's out in the front yard watering the grass. And so he's like, Hey, he calls her name. I'll leave the name off the radio. But or the podcast, he yells, he yells her name. Hey, how's it going? She has no idea who he is. She's just like, hey, waving all like, okay. And then he uh, drives by and doesn't stop. And the next day he goes back because he wants to do it again. Yeah. And he goes back and she's gone. Built, oh. So he's like, oh man. So later in the afternoon, he drives back by and mm-hmm. she's still not there. So he goes home. And then the next day he was like, I'm going to drive back by. She was a babe. I want to meet her, you know, and all mm-hmm. these things. So he drives back by. And she's out in the front yard again. So he's like, I'm not going to miss my chance. So he parks the truck, gets out of the truck, walks up to her and says, hey, my name is so-and-so. I got your name and your address from my buddy. He's a mutual friend. And I would like to take you out for dinner. And she says, well, I'm a Christian girl. So you have to go and ask my father. And he says, well, okay, because I'm a Christian boy. So I can do that. And so (laughs) he walked up to her father and said, hey, my name is so-and-so. And and I would like to... um, take your daughter out on a date. I'm a Christian boy and my family is a Christian family. And, um, you know, so, and so, and so, so the father said, absolutely. You can take my daughter out on a date. And they've been together ever since. It's very classic res- uh, line of respect. Yeah. That is conveyed. Totally. And so like the courtship between that, like the things progressed over the years with them and stuff. And there's going to be more stories that he'll share with me over time, but just the meeting and the interaction of like, he got a name, and an address from his friend. So he drove his truck, Which his, nowadays, his dad's now, truck. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. It was his dad's truck at the time because he was 15 years old. Yeah. So he jumped in his dad's truck and drove by the address and waved at her and then was like, oh, cool, I'm going to go back tomorrow. And went back the next day, twice in one day. And then today we'd be like, that's creepy. He's a stalker, call the police. Right. Um, but then the third time he gets out of his truck and goes up and he's like, I'd like to take you on a date. So when it comes to people asking each other out on dates, like that's all gone. And so jumping back, to like the whole, you know, pornography thing, these young men have this at their fingertips so early on in life that they're learning the wrong values when it comes to courtship with women, their expectations of what is real. And so this is is way wrong. Poor freaking I bet Jacob's like going to have to. No, he's not. No, no, no. uh, no, Just let me finish. (laughs) Poor guy is going to be like, I have to wait till I have a stepsister to get laid ever again. (laughs) For the first time. So it's, (laughs) dude, it's crazy though, because it, the, what, what it teaches people is not real. And 
I think that's really, really what, toxic. I think what there's another component that's toxic about it is it teaches people something that is disingenuous, unrealistic, and then it also creates this uh, kind of vacuum of people not knowing that that is unrealistic on b both sides of the gender spectrum. Sure. You know, male and female. You know, <laughs> it. Uh, so there's people who you know can't just take all the blame as men. I know we we're guilty for most everything. Uh, I've been told. So, I, <laughs> I, I, it also is unhealthy for young ladies. And if I ever had a daughter, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, I I don't want her to think that she has to, you know seduce her stepson or something or you know what i mean like i i hope she doesn't think she has to behave in such a right whorish way or slutty way you know and no disrespect to people who are like that's just how i want to be that's just how i live my life and that's how i feel is best and healthy and that's how i express myself i'm not gonna stop you know you do you obviously we have some traditional values that we have grown to take seriously and arrived at this point in our lives so yeah. we're gonna you know adhere to those a little more so that's just yeah. kind of the wheelhouse we'll operate in right yeah although i i will say i think we went down this wormhole a little too far <laughs> <laughs> um let's jump into another subject do you, you know what will you can you write you want to write that subject down or something real no. quick just i gotta use the bathroom and i want to make sure no one mugs me oh yeah yeah, yeah for sure uh, you so, can keep it in mind, right? Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, okay. I can keep it in mind for sure. Okay, good. Yep. All right, we're going to pause. Good. All right, pause. <laughs> All right, and we're back. We're back. Talk to me. Okay. So I was going to say, I was going to talk to you about this trip that I took last year that we didn't, that we haven't done a podcast in so long. I know. We haven't done it in almost a year. It's been 10 months. It's gnarly. I thought yep. it was just going to be like a couple weeks, maybe a couple months, and then it turned into almost a year. Yeah. And I haven't been around all summer because my back, you right. know, it's like you don't really see your jujitsu coach when you don't go to jujitsu very yeah. often, right? Right. Well, we can try and do a better job at doing them more frequently and then you getting back to jujitsu when your back's mending and stuff. But oh, Are you kidding me? I still have, uh, I have a freaking rash card in my backpack right now. Oh, that's so cool. I'm just saying like. I'll just let you beat me up. Oh, that'd be so sweet. Yeah, you can just roll me up. Maybe just roll a little, a little flow. Just roll me up. Just want to see what I can do after your MRI, after you get all that done. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, but so we haven't had the podcast for so long. I, we, I expected to talk about all these cool things that happened over this trip to Montana that we took last November, and all these cool experiences that we had. But uh, was that your first time in Montana? Uh huh. Wow, that's yeah. so cool. I've never been. It was my first time and almost my last time. Almost your last time. Why? Yeah. Because I would have never left. I almost never oh. left. I got there <laughs> okay. and I was like, I'm not going to leave. Like this is died. the first time I've come to Montana and I don't ever have to come back because I'm not going to leave. Um, I wanted to live there. I wanted to move there. That's what I've heard. But it just wasn't in the stars. And you, and you went in the winter too, or like almost Loved the winter. It. Oh, was it cold? It was so nice. It was like, it was, lo it, was lo it was colder than 20 degrees at one point. I mean, it got cold, cold. Yeah. But like during the day it was 20 it was a little under 20 degrees and i was outside with no shirt shooting my bow it was freaking and immediately glorious. not a month after that i was shooting my bow for the yeah. first time it was infectious dude 
You saw my pictures and you were like, <laughs> I need to do that. I've been meaning to get on a archery um, kick for many, many years. And I finally did. I went and picked up this uh, bear archery bow nice. in slow at a, there's actually a great archery place I've, I've been told mm-hmm. um, in slow. Sweet. I don't know what it's Never called. Been. I forget. I got, heard it, of it. I got it from some dumb sporting goods store. Yeah. Cool bow. Yeah. Love it. That's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> Lost all, like almost all of my arrows was so mad one day, just put my bow away and it's just been sitting in my truck ever since. Got I it. have three arrows. They're very expensive. Yep. And I just, I was getting really good for the short amount of time because I was shooting every day. Yeah. I saw, I saw you doing it for a while. So good. Yeah. So nice. Also, it was really nice because it kind of staved off my uh, uh, bullet addiction. Oh, yeah. So okay. I, I saved money saved on rounds. ammo, saved, saved some. And then there's something weird about when you don't shoot, when you shoot guns and then you don't for a little bit. It's just like with jujitsu where it's like, I'm going insane. I need to strangle someone. I'm Got going it. insane. I need to shoot something. Okay. It's, you know. Those are mutually exclusive, yeah, but that. it's very similar where it's like, like I'll get like to a point of like, I need to go rain brass, bro. Yeah. 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 <laughs> tell, tell me about Montana. Tell um, me about Montana. It was super fun. It was a super amazing trip. Super fun. And, uh, so the trip, I don't know if we even talked, we even talked about the trip or why we were going to Montana originally in our last podcast, but just a cliff note version is that, uh, my wife and I and our son, Jacob, took an exploratory trip with some friends of ours to Montana. An exploratory. And, uh-huh. And we were encouraged to go through Idaho and stop in Idaho before going to Montana. So we went into Idaho and we spent about four or five days in Idaho. We rented an Airbnb. It was just a, it was a wonderful time. And uh, we went to see my professor at Meridian, Idaho Meridian, Gracie Baja. And he wanted us to open a school in Idaho. Oh, in, wow. Um, I think it was uh, Caldwell, Caldwell, Idaho. So we looked in it, we looked into it, we checked it out. Um, it just didn't feel like it was the right thing to do at the time. Um, everything was would have been great, you and know. Th- and it this nice. was this was a year ago, so it was yeah. still just stinking of COVID restrictions stuff. COVID still. restrictions were still around. I mean, at that point, a lot of people had made the say or made the decision to basically be like, well, it is what it is at this time. But there was or still some like looing. There's, there's, it, it was clouds. a lot of, there was a lot of just got still. done being shut down by people in a building that are breaking the same rules somewhere. Yeah. Like they're in a government building, they're breaking rules that they're making. Right. And then we're, over here and they're telling us what to do and how to manage our livelihood. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah. And then the school education system in California got really sketchy for a minute. I think public school is very tricky in general. Mm -hmm. There are some places that have really credible, good, you know, uh, education systems. I think, um, it's not necessarily, uh, the case here. (laughs) No, absolutely not. I used but, to think so homeschool were, kids were weird, and <laughs> I was right, but not because they were weird in a wrong way. because they were right. It's, yeah, it's because they were weird in a good way. 
Um, so we we uh, we just were discouraged with California the way it was, and even though our business was still running successfully and we were doing really impactful things here, we just thought that maybe we could look at going out to Idaho and opening up a second school, so that we could have a place outside of California that we can call home, and we can kind of decide whether or not we wanted to make it full time, move to Idaho, or stay in California with both. And, and so, as one of your students, I would have fully supported you. Just leaving the state, going, being prosperous yeah. and flourish. I think and have a lot of a good life. Our adults would have been. I think a lot of our parents from our kids program would have been upset because they knew how important we were for their kids in their yeah, in their lives. Yeah. So, that's a, that, you know, I, that, it, that's a sweet spot for me. It wasn't really like a question of closing the school and moving it. It was me logistically trying to figure out how we could either sell our school to somebody. Um, that would run it with mm-hmm. the same passion that we had or yeah. who would be able to run our school with the same passion I have while I go and open up a second location out of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had uh, these things that we were thinking yeah, about see, doing. We, ha- we didn't talk about this because I had no idea. I thought for sure you were just like, let's get the fuck out of California. Let's go see how Montana. I didn't talk work. about it with people because I didn't want students being like, oh, he's just going to fucking move. Like I didn't want students you getting want all that weirded seed out. Doubt being planted. I didn't want the seed being planted that I was looking at, you know, leaving. And so yeah. I didn't talk about it really to anybody. I just said I was going for a vacation to go check it out with Chuck and his wife yeah. and our families and stuff. And so we went and um, Idaho didn't feel like it was the right time. And uh, we decided to venture on from Idaho to Montana. And when we got into Montana, man, I fell in love with Montana. But uh, getting to Montana was a different story. And that was a story I want to talk about was just it's called the Low Low Pass. And it's the old Lois and Clark Trail. Um, there's the Lolo Hot Springs, which is where Lois and Clark stopped on one of Are their- Are you saying Lois and Clark? Lois and Clark, sorry. Yeah, I was like, Lois and Clark, the TV show from the 90s with the guy who hosted Ripley's, no, believe no, no, it or not. No, What's his name? <laughs> Lewis and Clark. <laughs> the Lewis and Clark? Yeah. The Lolo Pass? Yeah, it's called the Lolo Pass. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's really, it was a really cool road, but really dangerous. Treacherous, so, huh? From October to February, the locals within 200 miles of this pass, no, you don't take this road. Like, what? this is a road you just don't take. And we were there in November. <laughs> so now there's people. There's just a season. There's a, it's the off season for it's that the off road. Season, right? it, it, well, it is. And so there's no major towns or cities ne- through so far into this pass, right? It's, sounds- it's about a hundred and something miles total. And it's a complete mountain pass, like three times as gnarly as the 154. Where and it's all single lane. Where does this go through? It goes from Idaho to um, Stevensville, Montana. Okay. So it splits from Idaho over to Montana. Wow. And at the top of it, you have the little hot springs, which is a really cool place in the springtime. You know, it's a really cool place in the early winter when there's a little bit of snow on the ground Ooh, and the hot springs are hot oh, and stuff. Man, but when there's six feet of snow around you and it's it's clearly like like maybe like 20% visibility because the snowfall is so heavy and it's getting dark, it's clearly not <laughs> clearly fun. Not. So anyways, this story is a, is a really gnarly one, but we decided when the day we left Idaho, we packed up at five in the morning, we were in our trucks and we were on the road. And we decided along the way going, we were supposed to take this one certain highway, which was all just kind of freeways and highways taking us from Idaho into Montana to our destination. Um, 
our, our partners were like, hey, there's this really cool thing that's coming up on the maps called Lolo Hot Springs. And it takes an hour off of our drive total. It's just a mountain pass. It takes us from Idaho to Montana and puts us right in Stevensville, about 10 miles away from our house. So you guys interested in taking that road? It says it's only going to take X amount of time. So the timing would have put us there in the daytime. We, we should have been clearly over the mountain pass before the sun even set. And so we uh, were like, okay, that, yeah, that sounds fun. We'll do that one. That's the old Lewis and Clark Trail. So we take this highway uh, through Idaho, and it's all just white. It snowed, it snowed so heavy where we were, and it was just white everywhere. It was about four feet of snow on the side of the roads, and the snow plows had cleared some stuff out, but it was a lot of fresh snow and stuff. And wow. uh, we're going through cow pastures and farms and all these different things to get to this to get to this. Uh, entrance for the Lola Pass on the Idaho side. And when we get there, there's already accidents leading up to it. Oh, like there was fuck. a snowstorm that hit pretty heavy the night before. Some so we come there. up on this one uh, mountain pass before Lolo Mountain Pass, and there was a UPS truck that had flipped over on its side. And so we pull over on the side of the road, and me and Chuck get out of the car, and we run over to the UPS truck. And we're thinking, like, we shouldn't be stopped right now because more cars are getting yeah. into accidents yeah. behind us. Oh, and so we were like, let's just make sure the driver's not, not stuck and buried. And then if he's not, then we're getting the heck out of here. So we realized he was actually out of the truck, walking up to the truck, and there was other people getting in accidents behind us because of what was happening. So me and Chuck were just like, we just stop in the car. It's, it's more dangerous for us to sit here and do all this than yeah. it is for us to just go. So we got in our trucks and left. They were okay. We get to this little subway down this little podunk town, um, and we eat. And then we get back on the road and we end up going through another couple towns that were just like farms. Yeah, just small. Little just small farms until we get to this little community and it's like a Western community. It's like wild, wild west. Nice. It was kind of cool, but it was yeah. all covered in white. And then there's people in accidents on the main roads because there's snow everywhere. Um, and I, I have a four-wheel drive truck. It's a, it was a brand new four-wheel drive truck with badass suspension and tires and everything. So I didn't even have snow chains. Neither did Chuck. He was driving his big diesel four by four. So we're going through and stuff and we just keep driving. Finally, we get to the entrance or what we thought was the entrance of the Lola Pass, which it was, but there's houses now and there's no towns. There's no hospitals. There's no doctor's offices. There's nothing. Not even what a dentist. There is, not even dentists. Jesus. There's volunteers that station themselves out of their houses that listen for in for emergencies and go and assist dude that's unless kind like of badass it's kind of badass right that's, that's how real, low, real tough people shit to, totally totally so we're out there far out in this little community and you know you see these little mailboxes every so often and all of a sudden uh there's not many cars coming towards us there's some semi trucks coming though right like and it's kind of strange because it's such a narrow road we're Why getting nervous why are there? these big semi trucks yeah. here but it's a logging part too so they're carrying a bunch of logs from the mountain. Have you seen Final Destination 2? Oh, I've seen it, man. I've seen you it. Know. So we get up to this one mile mark and this guy and his wife come ripping out of their driveway and they stop us in their truck and they're like, hey, uh, are you guys headed over the pass? And we were like, yeah, we're going to Montana. He was like, better be careful. But just so you know, up at mile marker 88, there was a tanker that flipped over. Holy and we shit. were like, what? And he was like, yeah, it just came in over the radio. And so that's what I'm talking about is watch. It's like, so that that's how they get reports. Okay. If there's a truck or an accident on the Lola Pass, yeah. it gets CB'd out basically through it and they have to listen. So people are at their house with their scanners on and then they'll report and go that's and help. So cool. 
And so um, he's getting ready to, for waiting for people to show up. And we keep driving and we're at like marker 78 or something like that. So we get a couple more miles up the road to mile marker 88. And sure enough, there's a few cars that are stopped now. And uh, this, this paramedic ambulance comes driving by and it's this really podunky paramedic car and drifts past us and goes up and so me and chuck sit in the car for a minute and we were like let's go check it out yeah so we parked the cars and me and chuck get out and by this time the paramedics were already there the tanker and i don't know if you remember seeing this on instagram i think so okay so just kind of revisiting that whole yeah. scenario yeah. is that the semi truck had was an empty propane tank it was an empty propane truck. So when I first saw the truck on the propane truck, I was like, don't even get fucking close, dude. Yeah. What if there's gas in that thing? I'm not going to be near it. Like, uh, and so I, I was like, well, we got to just, we got to do this. We got to venture up. Because at this point, there's really nobody around. And we noticed that the EMTs were not EMTs. It was two old ladies that were probably collectively 420 pounds between the two of them. And they were within their 70s. Um, so, they didn't know what they were doing. I don't so, even know how they got into that EMT truck. They but weren't. They black were belts. the people who responded. So they were not black belts. So I noticed that she's getting um, a, a tie strap, mm -hmm. and she's buckling onto her belt, and then putting onto the bumper of the EMT as she's about to scale down this cliff to see if this guy's okay. And so Chuck and I went over there, and we were like, we were like, hey, no, 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 no. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. And so then another guy came over. And so, um, the nerve on this California boy, Jason. dude, it was gnarly, Jesus. man. And so we're, we're just sitting there like, this is crazy. I can't believe it's happening. And then we assisted as much as we could, you know, and then some more people showed up and people were trying to hit the, the roof in with a hammer and create a hole because this guy's stuck in there. Stuck. Nobody knew until, uh, a little while after if he was even alive yeah. because we were calling for his name and stuff like calling for, yeah. hey, are you in there are you okay and then finally you started hearing like a groaning and stuff like that and so he was okay and somebody comes up with a chainsaw and chuck and i are kind of like in the middle of it like standing right next to mm -hmm. where this is all happening and we're kind of handing things back and forth in this assembly chain line oh wow. and the tow truck tow truck driver that showed up ended up cutting a hole in the roof of the truck the cab, and, yeah. and the cab of the wow. truck because it was a sleeper truck and mm -hmm. climb in there and pull out the bed the mattress and stuff and they finally free him and then they bring down the gurney and uh me and my friend are holding the gurney on this cliff as we're lifting him out of the truck and onto the gurney and then we carry him up to the street wow. and then me and my buddy lift him up onto the EMT gurney and then the old lady finally everyone's like are you okay he's like oh I got a lot of pain in my chest and it was like all right he was like thank you guys so much for helping and saving me and all these different things and oh man and all of a sudden the lady hits a lever on the bottom of the on the gurney thing and the thing just drops like three feet and hits the ground and then he's like screams Whoa! and we're like thanks are you, bitch are you kidding me oh my god after all that so we lifted him up and put him into the paramedics and then we were like we got to go because by this time we've been sitting here for three hours Damn. you know and yeah. so we're we're really worried because we know we got like 99 miles on this pass road and it's starting like we know it's going to get dark yeah. you know and yeah. so and that's even more dangerous we get going you know and it's just like it's so crazy because it's it's one lane to one lane and it's gnarlier than the 154 if you know what the 154 is like the 154 to me is 
is, is unforgiving, but it's not that scary. This road was scary yeah. and it was white and there was snow falling so thick that you could barely see in front of you. The snow tracks from any vehicles that were in front of us were being immediately covered up by the snow that was falling. The snow hitting in between the tire tracks was hitting the gearbox in the, oh. in the, it was just, you could hear it going yeah, um, off to the right to the passenger side of the truck, it's a 15 foot drop from a cliff into a roaring rapid of white water from what snow. The fuck and there's is... chunks of snow floating through the river. And other truckers. I'm and sure. other truckers. <laughs> and so, but on the left of you, where on the driver's side, the truck drivers that are loggers in these semi trucks are coming down the mountain, passing you on that side. And it sounds like a fucking Immediately movie, to dude. the left of that is just a sheer cliff of trees covered in snow and there's just big chunks of snow that falls from trees because it's getting so thick it was hell is not a scene hell is not hot that's what i came to believe hell was that road trip in that does in that mountain pass in the winter that was one of the scariest moments of my life i survived it because i had my wife and my son in the car and god was watching out for us I was not going to let anything happen to my wife or son while I was on that road. Um, but it was the scariest moment I've ever gone through in a vehicle. It that was so sounds scary. Dude, I am sweating just it thinking about it. That is wild. Also, great description. Yep. Really good details. But we, uh, when we, so once we got to the top of the pass, we finally realized like we were at the top top. And once we, there was a certain point where you get so high up the mountain that the river's gone. But now it's just you don't know what's on the other side of that ledge like you just don't want to it's just nothing yeah so you're just just and you're just hoping that you don't slide you know because you're in snow right and i don't have chains on my vehicle because i'm in an off-road vehicle with all-terrain tires so i'm like i don't think i need chains i should have had chains but i didn't have chains yeah and so i'm just begging god to not let our truck slip off the side of the cliff you know from the snow and uh, we get to the top, or what was about the top, and now we see snow plows. There's no snow plows on the mountain pass. Mm-hmm. They're all up at the top hanging mm-hmm. out. So there was one little forest station way at the top where there was like four snow plows. And I think that they lived up there for the time being or whatever, and yeah. they snow plowed they in certain areas. So okay. we get all the way up there and we stop our trucks for a second. We get out and we jump out of the truck. You're literally up to your knees in snow. Um, and there's just snow caked into the bottom of the truck. And I realized that I had less than like, I had less than an eighth of a tank of gas. And I had no idea how much longer it was going to be until we found a gas station. And so at the, the only saving grace I thought was, well, it's downhill at this point. (laughs) Coasting, (laughs) coasting. But if I had gotten out of gas or anything, then my truck doesn't start. Well, we're all sleeping in the back of Chuck's truck together. Mm. So what would have happened is we would have ended up just stopping, camping out in the bed of a truck, pulling everything out of the trucks and all piling into the back of a truck, trying to stay warm. Like, what would we have done? I mean, there was no trucks that were going to come up and save us in that snowstorm. It was pretty gnarly, dude. It was That's terrifying. So we finally make it back down. And maybe it was the craziness of the trip itself from that mountain pass coming into the safety of an open road without a lot of snow on the ground. Because once you get down from the pass, you see snow, but the snow's not on the road anymore. So the snow's all melted from the snow and it's just barely on the on the floor and the mountain pass was the bad part of it. And so you're just, oh, you, I can breathe again. You know, I, I'm, I'm alive. Yeah. And, but anyways, Montana. So we get to Montana and that's so beautiful, dude. No so, wonder you loved it. So you had a freaking 
that I was moment, like reborn. It was like the reprieve, the refreshing, the relief yeah. of that terror probably romanticized that. What? I definitely, I definitely think so. And I was so looking forward to it. And we were in such good company with, with, with our, with our best bud. And uh, it it was just appreciate everything. I appreciate it from then that drive on that you were experiencing because a hundred percent when it's miserable, the, when you go through shared struggle like that, it brings people together, brings you really close. Yep. And it, it, it delivers this appreciation that I don't think can be replicated in like a staged kind of way. It has to be something like Rogan always talks about this hunting trip he took with Steven Ranella and Brian Callen on this, this fucking Island in Alaska mm-hmm. rained for days, misery, never stopped raining, super miserable. He went home, took a hot shower and he's like, I had to call his, Steven Ronella up and he's like, dude, I feel amazing right now. I'm like the happiest I've ever been. Like I feel right now. And he's like, I dude, I know. Right. Like what's going on? Like because of the misery and that shared struggle that you went through and then the, the oasis and the part of Montana that you just got to arrive in and then see, and it was, it wasn't terrifying anymore. I, I completely am aware of the feeling. That's I've experienced great. it a time or two. It's really great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was, it, but it, and it, it was Montana, dude. It was so cool. So cool. But ultimately, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. We came back and uh, went through some depression. You know, that was something that was real. I, uh, when I came back, I was, I was so torn up emotionally about California and the way California was and the state that it was in and having poured so many years of my life and breaking and damaging my body and my soul to be able to teach this art to people. You know, um, I was so heartbroken with what California was doing that I was just wanting to go. I didn't want to be here anymore. And uh, Montana was so like, it was like, like rebirth. I was like, this is what I want. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. I want to open a school. I want to be a part of my friend's life in a deeper, more intimate way Mm with live in this, you know, homestead with each other and, you know, be men again, you know, and raise our family. Like we should be raising our families. Mm -hmm. Um, We had this grand plan and, uh, and we came back and we came back with the intentions of getting everything lined up to do it. And it just didn't happen. And when it didn't happen, it was kind of a lot was going on and a lot of doubt was coming through and a lot of people were unready to move forward. And so with that, we just didn't go. And that led to its own darkness and depression in myself. And I won't speak for anybody else, but I was definitely going through a lot of depression with that. And uh, I was here and I was teaching jujitsu and I was trying to be the best person I could be. But it was clear that, you know, people, some, even students, students knew that there was something that was affecting me, you know. And I think the closest people to me kind of started figuring it out, you know. And it was nothing that anybody could do. There was nothing anybody could talk me down yeah. from. It was something that I had to emotionally and mentally work through and figure out, you know, what's my purpose? Where is my purpose meant to be carried out? Is it here? Is it there? What I don't know. And so enough time had passed that it was pretty clear I wasn't meant to be in Montana at, at that time. Yeah. It's not saying in the future we don't ever try and go and open, yeah. buy a house in Montana Absolutely. as a second location to live and stuff. But at the time, it seemed like a honeymoon thing, and it was just a beautiful thing, and it just wasn't meant to be. Um, 
but that had its own battle, like, you know, accepting that because I didn't want to be here anymore. And so, and that sounds like such a difficult place to be put in where you're, you're, you're essentially kind of stuck in a, in this place that is the antithesis to your values, Mm -hmm. what you want to do with your family. And then you had someone that had shared concepts and values and then you found this beautiful place where you can pursue them. Right. And then that doesn't happen. It, it sounds like a rock in a hard place and getting stuck in either the hard place or the rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think I, the I, ultimate, that's what I'm the ultimate decision making or decide, decide, decisive, the decision behind not going was that we realized we had put everything forward here at this school and in the state and we had built a community. Yeah. We had built a tribe of people that wasn't just a few people that liked jujitsu and enjoyed coming to train jujitsu. We built an empire. We built a community of people in this valley and surrounding areas that come to this community to yeah. be a part of what we're doing. Yeah, I hate jujitsu. Yeah, you just come for us. That's right. And uh, and that's and that's we, we, we built that, my wife and I, and uh, the team that came through collectively, because it was, it's not just us, it's everybody that came through the door and, you know, adopted what we were doing and continued to let that build in their life. And then that translated to other people, but we're all responsible for the success we had. And ultimately what we were looking at having to do was take all the success we had created here and realize we have so many positives going on for us here. The one negative is the thing we can't control. That's California. But everything else is there. The ability to have an amazing life, an amazing family, to be able to give back in a rewarding way to the community, which will only increase value to the future of this town. Um, everything we wanted to do was here. The only thing and that was, it is gorgeous. It yeah. is a beautiful place. Uh-huh. The only thing that was against our favor was the rules that California was trying to impose on people and these weird, crazy, psychotic, draconian you know, restrictions and right. laws and, and crippled laws ways and of thinking. And, absolutely. Yeah. And so then we decided, well, if we go to Montana, we have the formula, we have the freedom that the state is taking away from us from California there, but we have the trade-off is we don't have the, the community. community built. So now yeah. we have to drop what we're doing here to we go build it over there cycle. and start over again in a state that we just hope doesn't change their values. So what happens when we go to Montana and we do what we're going to be doing, and in two years' time we have built a community like we did in San Inez Valley, and then Montana doesn't just get a new governor and start adopting the laws that California's yeah, imposed. Right. Yeah. right. So like all these different variables were there, and that just kind of led to the depression of what am I supposed to do? Like I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And, I don't know. And how much what? anxiety you get so from much. not knowing w- what the outcome will be, either staying or going. Yeah. You know, whether you keep a school here, have a school there, or just have a school here, or don't have one. Yeah. Or don't have a business. Right. Like, what's going to happen of it? You know, what's going to become? Maybe this is, you know, there's so, I bet there's so many questions constantly of like, was this the right choice? Should we have done this? Was there something else we should have done? You know, I, there used to be. So yeah, yeah of course, right? If with right. An, like with anything, there's there's what ifs. Mm-hmm. You know, makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I couldn't only imagine what kind of weight that held in the recipe of depression, right? Yeah, where that was just like f- fueling that fire of yeah stress. Yeah, but, but it's, it's funny how things full circle though. Yeah, like because 
here we are, like to kind of maybe close out the the next twenty minutes or so, uh, and maybe get into the next podcast. But we are now in a position where we've grown so much as a business and as a family, um, and we're doing so many more positive things in this community. So when we finally decided that we're not going anywhere, we're sinking our roots and we're going to grind this out. You we're going to feed in there. And we're, yeah, we started, and we started, I started getting through that depression. I started passing it and getting through it and not having to deal with it as much anymore. Uh, my buddy and I came into this gym one morning. I had a membership here. He didn't. And we'd been trying to schedule ourselves to link up in the morning to train weightlifting together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you come here to performance. And he was like, no, you come to all sport. Cause I had a membership here. He had yeah. a membership to all sport. So it was a battle. Who's going to go where I went to all sport with him one time. And I was like, this place sucks. Let's, <laughs> let's go to uh, performance. And he was like, all right, I'll meet you at performance. Cause it's right next to the gym. Yeah. So he came with me once and worked out. And then uh, that was that. But then one time he texted me at night and he was, this is March 3rd. And he goes, hey, dude, let's go into the gym at five in the morning and do takedowns. And I was like, no, how about tomorrow is the day you come to Rob Rosenberry's with me? Yeah. And he was like, oh, I like that idea. So then we met up here at five in the morning. We walk in the door and the lady at the front desk looks at him. I, and uh, I was like, hey, can we sign him up for a membership? And she was like, uh, n- uh, I-, I got too much stuff going on right now. Here, just sign this paper and then you can go work out today. Come back tomorrow and Elizabeth will talk to you about the membership. Okay, fine. That's <laughs> okay. cool. We Works worked out, came back the next day. We got a good lift in. So we were like, let's come back tomorrow. Yeah. We came back, same thing. New new person at the front desk. Hey, I'd like to sign him up for a membership, please. And she's like, I can't sell him a membership. I was like, why? That's kind of discriminating. Like, yeah. what? why? <laughs> She's well. We're Some, selling. We're selling the or the business. The gym is closing at the end of the month. This is the last month that this gym will be open. Whoa. Yeah, and I was like, Whoa! What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Are you closing and moving locations? Is Rob selling the gym? Is it liquidating? Like what? What? what I'm a member here. I'd like to know what's going on. She goes, Well, we sent out an email. I was. I didn't clearly get the email. Yeah. So don't it look like too many checks emails? Yeah, you so don't even she, look like you know how to read. I don't. So. Need, I don't know how to read. Okay. So she said uh, we sent out an email that stated that this was your last month's tuition. So you were already billed for your last month. So this month, March, you didn't get billed for a membership. Um, and so as of April first, this gym will be closed. And I said, okay. Well, does that mean that he's just going to sell everything off or what? And she goes, I'm not sure. I don't have any more information. So she ended up giving Chuck a prorated membership for the month. And Chuck looks at me and he's like, you need to fucking buy this gym. And I looked at him and had this whole stepbrother's epiphany moment. You know, when they make the bunk beds. Yeah. I looked at him and I was like, fuck you. We need to buy this gym. I ain't doing this by myself. Um, Cause it's everything we wanted to do in Montana. And and it's right across the hallway here at our fingertips. That's amazing. That's why we didn't end up in Montana. It's because it was right here the whole time. So we end up just talking it over, talking it over, talking it over. We go home, wake up our wives, tell them what's going on. We, I came right back over to the gym and I sat down with Rob, the former business owner, and was like, what's going on? Talk to me. I want to buy this gym. Why are you selling it? Why are you closing it? I'll take it. I'll buy it. What's going on? We went to work. We ended up putting ourselves in a position where we bought this gym. Um, we bought this gym together and... Uh, it was so cool, so cool. And so we're gonna put a gap in the story. 
And now fast here forward. we are today, fast forward. My wife and I are uh, 100% owners of Allegiant Fitness. And we're uh, obviously still owners, 100% owners of Gracie Baja. Um, and we're put in a position where we get to be powerhouses in the community and provide health and wellness to collectively over 400 families in the town that we live in. So that way, um, when a couple old ladies roll up to an accident, they get out of their... Yeah. <laughs> and they are capable of scaling down a mountain with a proper pulley system and harness to do so. No no disrespect um, to those uh, yetis up there. Good for them. No, they didn't. We, no, disrespect to them, man. They were going to cause another injury and they're going to have to another person come <laughs> and try there. and save them. I, but, I was just being superficial because it's a gym. So yeah, and, and so it was. It was this really. It was this really cool, unique experience that came full circle for us. And when we came back, um, my wife and I ended up uh, recently buying the gym from our business partners, um, and they went to do the great things that they've already been doing with his, the cabinetry, the Valley Woodwork, yeah, um, uh, which is so amazing. And uh, now me and my wife are just running this gym. Um, Every day we're here. We basically live here at this point in time. Just I'm here and, from, and I understand your guys' dedication because you basically just lived at Gracie Baja when that was beginning, right? And here you are, right across the hall, yeah. and it's it's an everyday thing. It's, it's like if I want to find you guys, you know, that's what I, I tell where. people all the time. People try and call me, and I'm like, you're not going to get a hold of me on the phone. If you want to get a hold of me, you need to come to the gym. Yeah, I know. That's Te where texting I'm at. you is ridiculous because first of all, like you said don't know how to read second of all yep. i know where you are yep. i drive i drive by all the time i work mm -hmm. across the street sometimes and it you know right i run here. into you at lunch sometimes yeah. too. <laughs> yeah and it's like a five minute thing i gotta get going i gotta get back yeah. i gotta it's but gotta it's hustle. so cool dude we're in such a good position right now with with what we have going on we so we currently have this new gym called allegiant fitness um and the facility itself was twelve thousand square foot facility it had a physical therapist running uh, physical therapy out of it. And then there was 6,500 square feet of weights, free weights, cable machines, cardio nice. machines, ellipticals, treadmills. And then we have a 1,500 square foot fitness room where we offer fitness classes, group fitness classes with functional fitness orientation, um, all kinds of cool things. And we have a little yoga suite off to the other side, which is about 1,500 square feet. Wow. Um, we, have a, we had a physical therapist side right over here on this side of the wall. And that was 2,500 square feet. We had intended on doing a CrossFit space there and, and putting CrossFit racks mm -hmm. and all that fun stuff. But what I ended up deciding was that that was just going to be too much for us to carry on again. So everything within the business is square foot that we have to pay. So like yeah. I pay for the square footage that you're sitting in. We have to pay for that square footage that that little box is sitting on. Yeah. And so is that making me money? Is that making money? Like everything has to produce income. And if I have to employ something in order for that square footage to make money, then it's a not a that great of a business formula for that position. So anyways, that space was too much. Yeah, and it was a we, bit of an undertaking you weren't ready to, after all of this, to have right. under your belt. Yeah, at the at, like these past couple of weeks, we just basically decided, instead of us taking on that space and putting up the money to put in CrossFit racks and redo that room, 
we ended up finding a lady out of Santa Maria who has two gymnastics schools. She's got a gymnastics school in Santa Maria and mm -hmm. she has a gymnastics school in Grover Beach. And she's been looking to expand up here in the valley for some time. Oh, wow. And so we had her come up and take a look at the space and it worked out for her. So we had a contractor come out and rip out some of the um, floating walls in the space. So now it's an open floor plan and she's gonna be leasing that space from us to That's do a cool. gymnastics Gymnastics for is wonderful. My mother was a gymnast. Um, my girlfriend did gymnastics when she was a kid. I, I have a, like a vested interest in gymnastics, and I think there's really good for people's physical health and community. And if you want to see someone tear shit up in jujitsu, have them yep. do gymnastics. Yep. Those people have, of all people that look like they're on performance enhancing drugs, but aren't. Gymnast, I think, do right. it the best. Yeah, go to the Circus de Cirque de Soleil. Cirque de Soleil. Cirque de Soleil, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Go to a Vegas show. Go to a Vegas show and yeah. watch some of the male performers doing their stuff, and you're going to be like, damn, what does that guy do? Yeah. Well, he did gymnastics his whole life. Yeah. It's, like, it's an amazing fit. Like, it, I wish if I could look like any athlete, I'd want to look like a gymnast because they look right. top notch ripped rippled yeah you know for me in jiu-jitsu it's something that's it's important because they we get a lot of kids nowadays we're coming into a new wave of kids right now with jiu-jitsu and that's a whole different you subject. said it new wave new wave what i mean by that is that the five-year-olds were three-year-olds during covid mm -hmm. which means by the time that they could start to really speak and understand facial recognition. Oof. What was everybody wearing? Stupid uh huh. Masks. Stupid masks. And they wore those stupid masks for a big chunk of that developmental part of those their growth. Kids, I feel really, really so bad for we now have children yeah. have gone through that. So now we now have a, a handful of five year old that kids socially that are socially behind, underdeveloped, underdeveloped and yeah. they, they it, the facial recognition and cues that you use when you speak and you use emotion and the way you talk and the way your lips move and stuff they need to see that and they didn't see it for two for so long so now they don't know how to understand it and so it's really hard to retrain some of these kids we're just experiencing this now with some of these kids and stuff and so but going back to gymnastics is when these three-year-olds and four-year-olds come to our jiu-jitsu program the parents want to sign them up but i won't work with kids unless they're five years old i'm actually starting to consider not working with children until they're six because five-year-olds are even starting to fall far behind because we're getting the five-year-olds now are the three-year-old covid kids yeah and they need a little bit more development before that, they're ready for jiu-jitsu you can't necessarily put on top of the training structure exactly yeah that's and a whole it, other part of the curriculum that right. element that mm -hmm. they're not necessarily room for or just might not necessarily be your forte you know correct you're you're gonna be a black belt in jujitsu you're not necessarily gonna be a black belt in teaching everyone else's kids how to come back from the lack of development that yeah. they probably got exposed to. Yeah. Well, and I have to learn how to bring these kids back from that. Cause I, I, I do consider myself a black belt coach for kids. Like I'm yeah. a, I'm the best kids, hands down. I'm the best kids coach there has ever been. I'm the best. Like I will argue that with anybody, prove me wrong. And I'll shake your hand and you say, good job. a but, lot into, and you can tell I've, I've, I've been in classes when like you've had to go through it. It's been a real frustrating day. Mm -hmm. And I would have never known had you not said something because you kept that under wraps. You had a professional appearance and 
communication with all these children right. and handle them all on your own. Yeah. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going in there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't. I'll, I'll wait until no that way. class is over. Yeah, me rolling my eyes, going to be biting my tongue the whole time. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. But I, and I know how to do that. But what I don't, what I don't know yet, because I didn't go to, I didn't go to school. I didn't go to college. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not familiar yet with how to work with these new kids that are coming in at this age because of their social underdevelopment with like the, the masks and the facial cues and recognitions and the stuff that, that we're struggling to go through now with these kids. So my thoughts been, I may start not taking kids until they're six, Mm -hmm. but even before that, we'd never worked with kids. Well, we didn't, we don't work with kids from three years old and four year old because it's too much. Toddlers. That's a bit of a daycare handling situation. I don't run I don't run a daycare. And so what we would tell parents is go find gymnastics. Oh really? Always. Oh, always would tell a parent they come in with three year old, four year old. I'm like, go to gymnastics, go to gymnastics. And they say the closest ones in San Maria or Lompoc. I'm like, we'll go. It's that, that's what they need. Because when a kid does gymnastics before jujitsu, they come to me and they're ready. Like I can forward roll. Okay. Do a front flip. Okay. Do I, they, the way they move on the mat now is so much better. And so what that does for me, my biggest learning struggle or the biggest struggle we have in kids classes is when we get a wave of new kids, um, they have to learn movements, mechanics, techniques, just the simple warm up. Mm-hmm. The warm up is a is a fast thing. It's 12 minutes and we don't make it 20 minutes. We don't slow it down. So if you have five new kids in a class and you have 15 kids in that class total, 10 of those kids are doing the warm up and five of those kids are looking around like, "Huh?" And so do you stop doing the warm up as as the way you you start to finish and you slow it down so that all the kids catch up? Well, doing four rolls, line drills, hip escapes and stuff, even in the adult class, you know how there's people that slow line drill down? Yeah. Well, that happens on a higher level at a kid's class. And so now how do we get these kids to not slow the class down? They have to know their bodies. The so when it, of, of Exactly. When they're familiar with themselves and their bodies, if I take a kid from gymnastics who's never changed jujitsu and put them on the mat and tell them to do a forward roll, no problem. I tell them to do a back roll, no problem. I tell them to do a hip escape, huh? And I show them, okay, no problem. And he does it. He knows which foot goes where. My, I was 22 years old, first time I did a hip escape, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, what is that? I, I was not. I was probably right there with you. Yeah. 20 something years old. Yeah. You didn't, huh? Not good. But so that helps us because then they come in and they learn fast. They get past that learning curve really quickly, and then and they start doing jujitsu. Sponges too. Oh yeah, they're oh, super that's spongy. So cool. Do you, so do you ever consider the the advantages you had the, in jujitsu and the way you've grown up in jujitsu versus someone like came before you? In regards to like, 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 for example, these kids that might have gym, uh, gymnastics beforehand, and they have all of these instructionals at their fingertips, and they have this school, and they have like all this exposure to it, and jujitsu is bigger than ever right. now because of of Joe Rogan and ADCC and Gordon Ryan and all of these things have just blown it up, and it, it's become huge. And yeah. the kids who are training now are going to look like savages. Yeah, they're going to be so much better. I want to. The reason I ask is because there's things I want to identify that I have the uh, advantage of, or I have the you know, like some kids didn't grow up with internet and information at their fingertips, right. like I did, or or you know, 
like Jacob has. And, and sure. it's like, I want to know what it is. I want someone to point out what I have. And so I can take full advantage of those mm-hmm. possibilities. Right. Like the instructionals. Like, you know, is there something I could be doing that I'm not, you know? Because before it used to just be like, oh, just train jujitsu. That's how you get better at jiu-jitsu. Show up to class and learn the lesson. Yeah. And it's like, you can, you can learn jujitsu that way. It's really good. Yeah. But I remember I came in and I was like, oh, well, I've been doing powerlifting competitions. I have a closed guard that's really strong. Yeah. Because my legs are freaking dense logs of strength from sure. skateboarding, deadlifting, bam. All else fails, I'm going to put you in my clothes guard and hold you there until I decide what to do. You yeah. know? It was just like little things like that, little yeah. advantages. Like, I think everybody everybody has the ability to be great at jiu-jitsu. Uh, will you pop that door open real quick? It's a little, little toasty in here. Everybody has the ability to be great at jiu-jitsu. Yeah, keep talking. I got you. But... You have to like live your life. You still have to have a job. You still have to have a career. Some some people. So I guess hold, let me backtrack a little bit. Uh, in the years that I've trained jujitsu, I've realized to date that my game is structured off of maybe I'm just throwing numbers out there. Twenty percent of everything that I've done in my training career, right from start to finish, the things I use the most is 20% of everything I know. And I don't use the 80% because it's not efficient. It's not efficient for me. It's not efficient for my body. I don't move that way. I don't, the technique is garbage. That technique doesn't work. But that, you know that, it. But I know it, right? And so, cause I've done it and I've trained it and I've been there, I've done it, I've been submitted by it. I've submitted people with it. I've done those things. And so the 20% to me is how do I do as much as possible by doing as little as possible? and being comfortable enough to be smashed as hard as somebody can smash me and still make those minor adjustments to get to where I want to be doing as little as possible to do that. And so I've developed this new, this new game where 20% of everything I've learned is what I use and I use it in a very efficient way um, to the point where I'm not even using strength anymore. Like I'm, when the next time you roll with me, you're going to be like, who the hell are you? I'm, I'm weak, dude. I'm breaking down. I'm weak. His but arms are as big as they've been since I've met him. He, he <sighs> literally owns a, a gym. There's I can hear weights being set down. Yeah, there's in, weight. There's people weight, weight room. <laughs> so, but I, I I use technique, and that's it, right? It's, I don't use the eighty percent. Now, where the eighty percent saves me is when is, that black belt thrashes is when you. When that black belt thrashes me and does that eighty percent bullshit that yeah. I don't do, you know, like that, that I have to understand because that's like, oh, you can't do that or know where you're going. It also it saves you when you're rolling like with someone like me. I have only been doing jujitsu five six years, if yeah. that, if that, you know what I mean. I'm gonna use a lot more strength and I'm gonna be a little more. And something a tip I got from you was like, dude, you can steamroll people. You're a bulldozer. Just do that. So like, yeah, oh, okay, you know, I'm right. pretty nice in jujitsu. I'm not very. I don't want to be hurt and I don't want to hurt other people. Right. So I'll, I, sometimes I'm a little chicken shit when I'm doing jujitsu. Yeah. So I try to be a little tech, more technical. Yeah. yeah. But you can still be technical and be a bulldozer and be nice about it. You know, it's just the constant forward mo- movement is what you need, is what you're trying to achieve. Um, so that with me doing that to you might really come into play me, where right? you're, where you, you're like, I know how to do that. Yeah. I know, I know how to negate that. So you get like, I always t- I try and tell Sometimes I tell people in our class, at the end of our class, you know, you can't expect to take the elevator to the top. 
right in in jiu-jitsu there's no shortcut in jiu-jitsu it's shoots and ladders five years ago yeah five years ago i used to tell people there is absolutely no shortcut in jiu-jitsu you have to go through the grind you have to go through the repetition you have to go through the beatings the broken fingers you have to go through that to get to where you want to be if you want to be that black belt you got to go through that and so now I'm kind of proven wrong and I've been open, my eyes have been open a little bit more, but there has to be a very specific formula in order for you to take that elevator ride. And so think about the movie uh, Rocky where the Russian, when mm-hmm. they basically like GMO yeah. that Russian guy, uh-huh. you know? Um, so that's the elevator. So the Russian guy took the elevator to the top, right? He didn't go through all the ground grungy fights. He didn't go through the smoker fights and the boxing mm-hmm. ring and the bar and then the build up to Apollo, to Apollo's gym. He didn't do the work that put him into that arena. Mm-hmm. The work was done around him, with him, but that was the elevator ride. So now you have a guy like Gordon Ryan. Now Gordon Ryan's trained his ass off, dude. He's put in the grind and stuff prior to everyone's like, Oh, he's just like, he has this little camp and he only does so many things, but he's done everything. Like he's grinded with Tom DeBloss's school over yeah. in New Jersey. And yeah. you know, at the Henzo school, that dude has trained hardcore. My first what instructional he, Tom DeBlass. What he does now is he uses the efficiency of the techniques he's learned over those years to negate the 80% bullshit that people try and throw at him. And so he ties him up and gets to a point where he locks him in and then he can work his game using the little bit that as little as possible to do as much as he can. Um, and that's efficiency. And so I don't know where I was really going with all that, except for it's the a great example. It's a great example for the, the elevator. Yeah. So he, so, but you have to have the new, right nutrients. If you want to take the elevator, right you have to have the right, right nutrients and in order to be in a position to grow like that, like Gordon Ryan in jujitsu, if you come to me, Dallas, and you say, I want to be a black belt in three years and I want to start submitting people like crazy in six months from now when I stop it, when I start competing, but I want to do it with your school. And I'm going to say, okay, cool. Who's your nutritionist? Who's your dietitian? Who's your phys- Who's your personal trainer? Mm-hmm. What's your routine like? Mm-hmm. Who's your sponsors? Who's paying for all this? Right. Because without right. all those things in play, you ain't doing it. Mm-mm. Gordon Ryan has all those things in his team. He, they literally wake up and train all day for a reason. Yeah. Seven, because seven days a week. Their life is created on that. Christmas, 365 days a year. Totally. It's a sacrifice. You know? Yeah. So there's no shortcut unless you can have the right nutrients, right? Yeah. Unless you have the right soil and environment to do That's that. Right. Um, it's a breeding ground for him. It's great for him. Yeah, I th- you know he's you can awesome, say, dude. His performance is legit. Oh my god, dude! I watched. Oh my god, it's so great. The way when he leg locked his old teammate, Nicky Rod. I didn't watch that match. I did though. Is what I'm telling I you. I was bummed to see that match. I missed all of them except for all of Gordon Ryan's except for the last two. Okay. Super fight in the champion. The 11 one. second fight. I missed that one. Okay. Everybody missed it when they blinked. Yeah. Dude, let's talk about Felipe real quick, though. I think he threw that fight. Felipe or Andre? Felipe Pena. With um, Nicky Rod. <sighs> so here's why. Let me, I think, here's, here's, here's my theory. Did he get outpointed? Remind me. Because he, I remember he lost, he lost a decision. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's yep. right. Because right. they didn't get the points on. So I, th- here's, I think what happened was 
when Felipe got called out by Gordon Ryan and Gordon offered him four to one odds, and then he was like, no, 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 and then Gordon's like, no, fine, ten to one odds. You mm-hmm. put up ten thousand, I'll put up a hundred thousand. You put up a hundred thousand, I'll put up a million. Yeah. So he took the he took it off ten grand, but it was a contractual agreement to, for the two fights. If if they meet, yeah. If they met, that would be the second fight in their contract, and both times was ten grand. Yeah. So I would much rather before ADCC. Mo Jasim told Felipe, hey, I know you just lost 10 grand and a lot's happened with your life and Leandro Lowe, yeah. but you have to wire me another $10,000 by the end of the week because you're seated in, in the bracket contract. to potentially compete against Gordon that's and that's right. going to be your second contract fight. So If before, you guys make it. If you yeah. guys make it. And he's, there's a chance you won't. So you may get your money back, but if it happens, we need your money in the escrow account now. We already have Gordon's in the account. Mm-hmm. Now we need your 10 grand in the account. Mm-hmm. So he, Felipe had to wire another 10 grand after losing 10 grand to this account mm-hmm. before ADCC. So here's why I think he threw it because every fight, win or lose, as an ADCC competitor, you're making money, right? You're getting paid for each fight. Oh, I didn't know that. So Felipe, they have to be. I don't know that for a fact, but they have to make something. I believe it. Through sponsors, through it. this. I, I'll believe it too. I'm just making it up. It's Talk fictional or whatever. But let's pretend they're all the make, they're making in, money in, in, on each of these fights. Yeah. So Felipe makes money on every fight winning up until the last fight, right? With Nicky Rod. So now he realizes I have 10 grand sitting in an escrow account. I've won $8,000 or I've won maybe $5,000 in my fights to this fight. If I beat Nikki Rod, I now I'm at $8,000, but then I'm going to lose to Gordon and I'm going to lose the 10,000 that's in that escrow account. So I'm going to end up losing $2,000 or whatever the amount would be. Yeah. Or I could just not win against Nikki Rod get that escrow get that right escrow back, money right escrow. back win my 8000 and then jump into the super the open bracket yeah and get two or three more fights out of the open bracket mm-hmm. and i could even win the open bracket because i won't have to fight against gordon in the open bracket because exactly. he's doing the super match yeah he's in the 99 plus kilo and he's doing the super fight i think he's through that fight i think he financially made the decision to throw the fight against nikki and not do as much as he could and let Nikki win ref's decision because now it's not on me, man. I fought, I did what I could do. The refs raised his hand. Everyone knows it's always disappointing, you know? Well, yeah, decisions, so, yeah. Uh, so I think he gave up the fight so he wouldn't lose his 10 grand in that escrow account to Gordon Ryan. Uh, that's my thought. I, you know what? Part of me, I, I have two schools of thought here. One, Nikki Rodriguez is an amazing athlete. He won a decision against Cyborg in 2019, ADCC. He's a purple belt, a brown belt maybe. Maybe he's a black belt now, but he he chased. The, he's a phenomenal athlete and was under John Donaher and did amazing. I think it's entirely possible that he goes up against Felipe Pena and actually wins a decision. Yeah. To- like he yeah. did. Technically he did. You know, maybe Felipe threw it. Maybe he didn't. And then also, if you watch Felipe Craig Jones, he's getting freaking um, penalty after penalty after penalty. It, he almost lost just on penalties alone. And even Craig Jones was like, he didn't deserve all those. Right. There's a video of him saying, like, he didn't deserve all those penalties. That was ridiculous. Right. 
And Kainu Duarte I, too. Penalty after penalty after penalty. Oh wait, no, no, was that? It was kind of, no, it was Kainu Duarte. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it wasn't the Craig Jones because oh, Craig Jones didn't fight never mind. Felipe. That's right. That's right. Okay, not Felipe. I got Kenyon uh, and Felipe yeah. mixed up because they both got busted for yeah. uh, the same um, SARM before. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, that was bad. So anyway, I think he, I think he threw it. I Damn, think he made it. Right. I think I he made a smart that. financial decision and realized I've already fought Gordon three times. That's this is right. like I'll have to fight him again, but I don't want to lose the money right now. So if if I if I and then he said maybe I'll take a chance if I if I win an open division, yeah, which he had his fair shot at doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if he won an open division, then he would fight Gordon in the super fight in two years. So there's his second contract fight. The lot can happen in two years. But that's two years away, so he doesn't have to worry about putting up another ten grand for two years, based off of that agreement. So, true. you know, it was just—I mean, who knows? He could have lost because he tried his hardest and didn't pull the decision. But I think that I've seen Felipe Pena compete enough to know that he could have easily okay. turned it up and pushed it a little bit more with Nicky Rod. I'll say, kind of shifting gears here a little bit, um, the Galvao Ryan super fight was probably the most like. I wouldn't say nervous, but most like focused, like like in the moment and like kind of actually like present yeah. that I've seen Gordon Ryan. His face was like he he, he was pushing. It. He was worried. He looked, there was, there he looked was some... like he was like I have to put effort into this, mm-hmm. and he still took his back. Had what it was like twenty points to or yeah. it was a stacked points. Yeah. Because you can exploit their point system there. If you relock sure. a, a triangle or a body triangle, they'll give you points right. for that. That's pretty cool. You can really exploit that. And then did a kind of like an open strangle, a forearm. Grabbed his forearm and strangled him. That that was impressive. Yeah. It's, the but whole he thing was impressive, He couldn't dude. get locked up with those traps. He couldn't get locked in a deep rear naked choke. Uh-uh. But he choked him that way too, like which is also very very impressive. Right. And you know after everything, after the slap at the who's number one in everything or whatever event it was, I think it was in Florida. It was somewhere it Texas was, or something. I don't even remember now. It, it, it's the drama. Ugh. But he said I slapped him across the face twice. Twice. I was like, Jesus. That honestly, like watching him do that to Galvao, I was like, this guy's gnarly. Like his stock went way up in my book. And I already love Gordon Ryan because I'm the same age as him. So he's like my contemporary. Okay. You know? Yeah. And it it just, usually when someone's like your age or younger than you, you're like, this fucking, I'm like, oh God, get this kid out of here. You're making me look bad because I'm not as good as you. Like in skateboarding, like if someone was younger than me, better at skateboarding, I hated them. Sure. I was so jealous because I was just so insecure. Yeah, but I'm the same way with young weightlifting yeah. kids that come in here. Oh God, doesn't it suck? I know. Like, if they're still lifting, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's well, dude. Yeah. All steamed out. Long time. This has been a great podcast, dude. Yeah, I think it's this been is. Fun. I think it, as long as it's been since we've done one, this has been my favorite I've done with you. Well, cool. I appreciate that. I think it's been a fun one. I, I don't remember the last ones. I don't have a good memory. That's but right. I'm going to say that this was the funnest one I've had. This is really d- a dynamic time. one. There's been a lot of content, a lot of jumping around. That is, has been fun. Thank you so yeah, much. Absolutely, man. All cool. Right. I'll get this out soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you, coach.